China, China, China. We must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. What we do not do is spy unlawfully on Americans. We are leaving in 2014, period. Ladies and gentlemen, we got them. America's public enemy number one in the United States is drug abuse. In order to fight and defeat this enemy, it is necessary to wage a new all-out offensive. You are listening to Biting the Bullet with Luke and Typo. What the fuck is up, everybody? We are back at Biting the Bullet. I'm joined with my co-host, Typo. Ayo. And we are going to do a deep dive on China. And it's not going to be me and Typo that's teaching you about this shit because we can't. We got our good friend, the illegitimate scholar, or the host of the illegitimate scholar, Samuel Urban. Welcome back to the show, buddy. What's up? Thanks a lot, man. Not much. I'm doing all right. Yeah, you've been you've been going on everywhere lately. You've been jumping around podcasts. You've been throwing out your own schizo rants. You've been killing it on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, no, I uh, I do this pretty much full time, um, and I'm little bit autistically obsessed with a lot of it so yeah i've been going on as many podcasts as i can i uh i pitch about one a day to go on and all i do is read this shit and listen to about eight hours of podcasts a day and uh do things like i i got 17 pages of shit on china to talk about today <laughs> so i don't think we'll get well, through and, all of it but uh yeah and i want to let everybody know they they'll, they'll be able to find it um we'll post it in our show notes we also retweeted it on twitter um, but your Substack, you you're letting it everybody see it, so you'll be able to follow along this with what we're talking about and see what we gloss over or see what we actually go in depth to. The reason why we wanted to talk about China, well, the reason why I wanted to talk about China, typo kind of read my mind when you asked us, well, what should we do the show about? And typo's like, we should do something on China, and I was like, actually, that's a really good idea because typo and I have been talking about China, but just in like a far away like non-understanding version of what we think china is and what's yeah. going on with china and things like that but what we've always talked about and it's kind of been like a lower theme in our podcast when it comes up is like it's lasted for fucking ever and it, if if yes. if history is anything to look at it's going to last forever and that was right. kind of like one of the interesting things that i wanted to bring up and i think typo said it at the end of he and I were talking um, after you came on our show last time. And I think it was when I had to step away. Mm -hmm. But he said, you're like, China's going to be it. Like, after all this is yeah. over. I, I think what, what I had said was, if there was an alien species that looked at Earth over a few thousand years, there is no chance that they would want to talk to anybody as representatives of Earth besides the Chinese. Yeah, You know, and, and that, that really is sense. because they're contemporaries of the Roman Empire, they're contemporaries of whatever. And, and that gets at exactly the um, like what angle I'm going to be discussing China, because I'm, I'm not right. an expert in China. Right. Like I, I have yeah, an yeah. understanding of China. I've, I've written I'm written. 
I've read a few books on China. I've read several of them. I've taken a few history classes. China was a big part of my uh, my capstone for my history bachelor's. But the like what, what you really hit the nail on the head when you're talking about how China's been around forever, because that's kind of like like my show is a cultural anthropology podcast. So the Chinese as a culture and why they've been around for so long and how that has happened and the course of history, what has happened where they've broken up and come back together time after time and why their culture has persevered is exactly the angle that I, I'm going to be talking about China with. So it's a basic overview of China Perfect. with, yeah, with the, um, with the concentration on, um, the cultural aspects and, and culture being the broad term of culture that I would talk about on my podcast being like an understanding of not like music and whatever. Those are, those are yeah. examples of culture, but like culture as ways that human civilizations and, and human societies interact with the world in, in order to prosper and um, expand. Right. And survive. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, because, that, and that's what like, it's kind of been our theme recently too, is talking about culture. Like we, we, we started off this show as just kind of like picking narratives or picking, like when we first started it with our buddy, Jared, we started off by like picking random things that we wanted to talk about veteran suicide, fucking um, funny stories in the military. Uh, it was kind of like very centered around that. And then we kind of shifted into current events and that was because, we kind of saw everything going on with Trump and all that. And it was like, oh, this is interesting. Like we're talking about libertarian shit. And then like this veteran libertarian type deal. And this kind of our show evolved. But recently it's been very hyper-focused on like cultural aspects. Because as much as I'd like to be, you know, the fucking A-type Marine or, or whatever. I'm not, I don't, I don't really give a shit about guns and weapons and stuff. I want to know how to use them. I want to know how to fucking take them apart and, you know, go out and do whatever I have to do with them. But I'm not going to sit there and tell you my favorite types of guns and give you this loadout kit that can go do this, that, or the other. I'm very interested on how cultures react to significant events in their society, how to expand that longevity of a good culture. What is a good culture? What isn't a good culture? And what I base those off of is very much longevity and, prosperous prosperousness what is that yeah that's kind of how you say it. i don't know yeah prosperity there we go fucking words um prosperity and things like that you know so like that's kind of been that's kind of what we've ended up focusing on so this is perfect because like i said china's been around for fucking ever and even when it's been weak it still existed and it's still prospered in the end right right and that that's the key and that's one of the one of the themes that i'm going to talk about almost at the beginning here after I start with a with a big overview of Chinese history, a very, very big picture overview, um, <laughs> is the disunity periods in, in Chinese history. Um, and I'm, I'm going to, if I don't remind me, I'm going to compare that to the Romans, because the Romans is, is kind of the contemporaneous example, even though it doesn't last, excuse me, nearly as long. Um, but okay, so before I even start doing that, one of the things that you said reminded me. So when we're talking about China as a culture that prospers, one of the things that that I like to think about is the fact that the culture does change over time. And sometimes things, even though they change, they might still be called the same thing. So like Confucianism okay. has changed from the 200s AD until today. The Chinese empire had changed from 
from the 200s AD until today, but, but they're still called China. And there are certain other examples where a culture retains itself, but it's not under that same name. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't retain itself. Like, for okay. example, structures of like the Romans existing even until today in things like uh, the Gregorian calendar. That is Roman culture that is expanding, even though it's not necessarily explicitly thought of as Roman culture. So it's not always as binary, but the when something is named the same thing, it's generally it, it generally is associated with a larger level of continuity. Um, I, that's not always the case, but it usually is. Sometimes it's it's just something using the name of it when it's not really that similar, like maybe the Holy Roman Empire, like neither Holy Roman right. nor an empire, although really it was a little holy, it was a little Roman, and it was a little <laughs> bit of an empire. Um, okay, so unless you have any more questions, China. Yep, China. Mm. Okay, well, so the first, what was that type of, sorry? Oh, I was just going to say we'll start whenever, wherever you want, man. Okay. All right, so prehistoric China. So we're going back to like 2000 BC. This is like 4,000 years ago. Um, well, well, leading up to 4,000 years ago, everything until then. Um, you know, human settlements were in China in like the Stone Age. Uh, we don't really know how long people have been there. I think there's evidence of 60,000 years in the general area, but um, it, it might be longer than that. That's just the evidence we have now. Um, where, where China really starts, the, the precursor to China is uh, the Shia dynasty. I hope I'm pronouncing that way, right. I'm sure somebody's listening to this and is like, oh, this fucking white guy. <laughs> um, yeah. So the Shia dynasty, uh, that's 2070 to 1600 BC. And uh, at this point, this, is, this was a dynasty that was originally just in legends. People didn't know if it was real, if it was like a potential. But now there have been some archaeological finds that confirm what it was. Um, but after that, you have uh, the Shao dynasty and then the, um, oh gosh, I forget the pronunciation for this, uh, but the, the it's it's the one with the Z Zhu? and the H. Zhu, it's something yeah. like that. Zhao? So, yeah. <laughs> um, let's, just fuck, let's just butcher it so we act like we, because we know what we're talking about, obviously. Right. You can let us butcher it. You can let us butcher it. We'll try okay. to pronounce things. Appreciate it. And these are all written down. <laughs> so you can like, you can look up the actual, uh, the actual pronunciation. Um, so I think it was the, the Shang dynasty that had these things called Oracle bones. And I probably recommend this book Oracle bones to you guys. Um, it's a, it's a book by a American journalist and he chooses the name Oracle bones because these are ways that the ancient Chinese, and, and I think this was either the Shia dynasty or the Shang dynasty, these are ways that they would prophesize the future. There, were, there was a specific ritual that they had with these oracle bones, which is what they were called, but they were tortoise shells that were fired. Um, there was a process where they were fired, they cracked, these spiritual leaders would read the cracks, and they would, uh, they would inscribe in them the results of these. So there are a lot of examples of these oracle bones, and they've survived because of the material they were carved in. Um, and then after that, th this is ancient China. Uh, after that, around the same time that you move, that the Roman Empire moves from the Republic into a uh, empire, is around the same time that China enters uh, the imperial Period. So this is the the Qing Dynasty. Uh, that's Q I N Dynasty in the anglicized spelling of it, and that was two twenty one to two hundred six B C. And and this is um, Qing Shi Huangdi, who is considered the uh, the father of 
of like modern-ish China. So if you ever played a game like Civilization, you might play as Ching Shi Huangdi. He he's considered a leader. I think he was the guy. I hope I'm getting this right. I think he was the guy with the terracotta army. And this is where the name of China comes from, the the Qin Dynasty. This is where China comes from. Mm. And this leads in to um, a few other dynasties. I, I mean, the, the imperial reign starting in, in 206, I mean, after this, it's all dynasties and times of disunity where the uh, where China in the form that it is today, representing the Han Chinese people, breaks up. And sometimes it's a foreign rule that comes in. Um, the Some ancient peoples, there was the uh, Xiongnu and... Um, the Xiangbai, and these are uh, nomadic peoples that either predate or are related to peoples like the Mongols that would come out of Central Asia. And sometimes these people came down, they captured the dynasties. A lot of times what would happen is these steppe peoples, as would often happen with steppe peoples, would just, they would um, adopt Han Chinese culture over time, or they would retain a certain point of their steppe culture within um, the imperial city at certain points, the imperial city, uh, this was later, this was like a thousand AD, but inside the imperial city of China, there was just a nomadic, nomadic yurts were just set up because the rulers themselves were, were Mongols, but the Han Chinese, and this is one of these times that I'm, I'm going to be talking about this theme of the perseverance of the Han Chinese culture the Han Chinese culture remained even under foreign rule. And this was, this becomes a bigger deal later when you have Manchu rulers. So we're going to come back to it. But with these steppe rulers, steppe rulers generally allowed people to continue uh, their culture. But eventually the Han Chinese, they come back into power themselves. So this imperial, um, this imperial reign, this imperial time that starts with Qing Shi Huangdi goes all the way up until the 20th century. Kind of. It kind of fails in the 19th century. That's that's a big part of what I hope to get to today. If I don't spend 65 minutes talking about some Chinese emperor in the 400s yeah, so, AD that nobody gives a fuck about. Yeah. So these these oh the so like the Chinese dynasty came down around the same time that all the other like monarchs were coming down and like yes. across Europe. But theirs exactly. was like yeah, theirs was like what? I mean, I see. I don't even really know China's like involvement in world war one and i read like three books on it already like i have no right. idea where china was doing the whole time dude it so, just seems like it seems like nothing's talked about about china during those during this time period like that's the wildest thing for me is like it's just it's just like oh they're quiet they're not there like they're not involved in any of the stories except they were getting fucked up by the japanese like <laughs> at one yeah. point like they're just it's just crazy to me so that's why that was one of the reasons why i was like yeah i want to talk about that period specifically too but it's just so basically up until so during the whole dynasty periods, like the imperial period of China, mm -hmm. people could come in and take over China, uh, whether they're the steppe peoples you kept referring to them as they would right. take over. These are like take horse over people, Ch basically. Yeah, like horse people. No, Mongols, Huns, groups, things like that. Mongols, yes. Huns, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So they come over, they take over China, but basically the culture or the traditions and stuff like that, they end up kind of conforming to and allow the people of China to continue that kind of traditions and to various everything degrees. else. Yeah. To various degrees. Right. There's yeah. obviously going to be some, yeah, we get to do whatever we want and post the kind of taxes we want and periods of, you know, extreme unrest and, you know, 
revolution and blah, 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 and uprising yeah. and downfall and uprising and downfall, mm-hmm. as is with any. But China just seemed to keep that. They seem to have been able to keep a lot of their, from the Han dynasty, that type of like tradition and who they are. Yeah. 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 Um, so the, um, so the Qin dynasty with Qing Shi Huangdi does give way to the Han dynasty right after it. So that's, that's where the name comes from that side note about what you said, but yes. Um, yes, that's exactly what happens, but they're, they're, it's just so, it's so resilient. It's, it's insane. It's like, I mean, um, yeah. So, and the other thing that I think typo said, and then you, you went into this Luke, the, um, China not being a player in World War One. This is one of those periods of uh, disunity. So w- most yeah. of what I have to talk about today is the 19th century. Um, okay, cool. So in that time period, there were a few things going on that I'm going to go into detail of later. This is Perfect. a period where the empire, the, the emperor has very little real power. And uh, there are other powers in place. There are other powers that control real power, the ones with armies and all these other things so they're the reason that china isn't a big player in world war one is because the the state that was known as china had such actual such little actual power and most of the power rested in subordinate units within china um that it was like even though it's this massive country with so many people that particular um that particular government the the chinese emperor he just wasn't wielding a lot of power at all any any real power even though he just looked it was more of a ceremonial type position really um or or it ended up being like that but okay so during these um during the imperial reign which which officially ends in 1912 although 19th century the second half of the 19th century it's a non-player it's already on its decline yeah yeah and in world war one that so I just said 1912, right? That's when yeah. they fall. Okay, so World War One starts in 1914. So this new Chinese Republic that, by the way, never really worked. It was the first attempt to westernize and modernize China. Again, I'll go into more detail on it later. It never really worked. It was brand new in 1912. It's like, you know, it's like us trying to join a, the napoleonic wars if like we kind of joined the napoleonic wars the united states did but it was like 20 yeah. 30 years after our country was a thing it would be like like 1785 with like gotcha. during the articles of confederation we're just trying to figure out this new government and then we're trying to send troops over to another continent no they're just not so they sent some troops in but they weren't really capable of doing it and then right. in world war ii look so and again, there's more on this later, but Manchuria is the region. It's it's just north of um, the the heartland of the Han Chinese. Manchuria is where the people Manchus are from, and the Manchus were the were they are a historical minority in China and today a minority in China. But during the time of the Qing Dynasty, which collapsed in 1912, they were the ones in charge of the rulers. They they were the emperors and they were in charge. Okay. And the Manchus, more so, in my opinion, to my knowledge, than any other dynasty in the past in China ever that was foreign ruled, 
they more than any other um, people tried to suppress the Han Chinese culture, including not allowing them to have the traditional Han haircuts. So, mm. and there was some, and, and this leads into why the Qing dynasty loses legitimacy is, is because okay. of things like this, partly. But like, and then Manchuria, so we consider that China today, right? But that's what Japan invades at first. They invade Manchuria. So it's, it's an right. area of Chinese influence that is historically a minority ruled by China. But there is an argument to be made, and it is true that they are less to, to how much of an extent less they are, uh, an official part of China can be argued, but they're not part of the Han Chinese heartland. This is not Han Chinese land. So there's a massive yes, wow. difference. It's, it's, like, it's like the difference between when the United States invaded Okinawa and when the United States invaded the uh, Japanese, one of the islands that the Japanese had their ethnicity right. as the majority, right? So like it... Manchuria was a subject peoples historically of the Chinese, but like, so were the Koreans. Like it's, it's gotcha. like maybe less so than the Manchurians, especially because the Manchurians are the people who rule China, but it's like one of those deals. So any gotcha, questions gotcha, before gotcha. I, before yeah. I go? No. Oh, go ahead. Typo. I was just going to say, man, for, so it's Manchuria. Like, how would you compare like that type of how they're living? Like uh, maybe something compared to here in the West or here in the United States, like what is their attitude toward their, nation like would they like are they like the texas like they would want to secede and like more or most likely leave or they're like dc because it sounds like they're like dc so it's it's tough to make a direct comparison because china is a like china is more connected to their their han chinese ethnicity whereas it's much harder to argue for in ethnicity for the united states um but like I, I would compare it more to a sphere of influence type thing, although it's it's definitely like today it's much more direct rule. But historically, before like the 20th century, it would have been more like I would compare the tributary system imperfectly to the Monroe Doctrine. And Manchuria would be a very important part of the sphere of influence in China, essentially directly. So I would compare an incursion in Manchuria more like the Napoleonic, when Napoleon III invaded uh, Mexico, or a potential invasion of Cuba in the early 20th centuries. Places that at the time were considered heavily under American influence, and it was considered a almost an act of war for somebody to go in there. But it's it's not Not like enough so to get everybody on board. No, I mean, it's it's it would be a thing like the Napoleon the third, I think, example of him invading Mexico is, is very good because yeah. they invaded Mexico during the American Civil War. And so America wasn't able to respond. But Civil War is over. Fuck out of here. Fuck you. <laughs> We're going yeah, down yeah, there, dude. you French frog motherfucker. You get the <laughs> fuck out of our hemisphere. Go home and get the fuck out today. Fuck and that's- the French exactly no <laughs> i mean thank you montesquieu <laughs> thank you fucking Marquis de lafayette everyone else go fuck yourselves um okay sorry french um but yeah no i mean it's it's a big deal so that's why like gotcha. that makes sense you know, yeah important important area not so important that they could have actually done something during this time to protect it exactly it's it's it it wasn't i mean the 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 Japanese do invade 
Han territory. They invade Beijing and Shanghai and Nanjing later, right? And But that's yes. a separate thing. So there, there is a difference between the invasion of Manchuria and the invasion right. of Han Chinese mainland. Um, yeah. Han Chinese, not, not mainland. It's all the same landmass, but like their, their heartland. Um, gotcha. Right. Okay. So... Um, th- th- here are some periods, uh, other periods of dis- disunity, just for some more examples. Leading up to Qing Shi Huangdi and the Qing Dynasty, the Warring States period gave way to Qing Shi Huangdi. This is the, the modern dynasty period in China where um, they're kind of united um, in, a, in a very similar heartland with a uh, sphere of influence that goes beyond that. Then there's the Three Kingdoms period, 220 to 280. This is after the fall of the Han Dynasty, which is the one that rules for about 400 years directly after Qing Shi Huangdi. Um, later, you have the Southern and Northern Dynasty. And uh, this I have a, a quick question. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, go ahead. So with these with these dynasties, like if it, it's Han Dynasty or the Qing Dynasty, these are like family dynasties, right? Like this is a yes. family that has ran this country from for these 400 years or something it's like a direct that, line yeah that's fucking insane that a family yeah. can do that it's right fucking insane exactly and these are extensive uh, families right these these are extensive yeah. families with their th- this is multiple concubines you, you would compare it most closely to uh the the court of the ottoman sultan probably but right. more magnificent at it at its greatest height um insane so multiple wives court intrigue court eunuchs all this type of shit um all, all, there's there's so much Crazy. i mean you you could do an episode on on each of these periods warring states three kingdoms southern and northern massive battles massive wars assassinations i mean each one of them is just an epic story each one it's insane yeah. the depth of these things insane you you could spend the rest the of history the going through it yeah yeah, yeah. the you, history you, is yeah. just wild is um so the southern and northern dynasties uh and then i mean this isn't even all of these periods of disunity um and the five dynasties. yeah these are just some of the ones that like stick out right (laughs) yeah yeah i mean the warring states and the three kingdoms are ones that like american game companies make games out of these are like famous periods (laughs) in time like there's like there's a total war game called three kingdoms i think um it's based on um so unfortunately it's not a historical game it, it includes like fantasy stuff it includes like the chinese lore about these mystical generals it's it includes lots of stuff that i can't get into wushu and mysticism and all this cool shit um yeah i love china fucking love china <laughs> uh don't love the chinese communist party love china they're okay though don't if i ever go to china please don't kidnap me or do anything to me i'm sorry um okay so for, for the sake of time, I'm just going to briefly go over these and I, I will go over them more in depth if you'd like me to. Um, but yeah, and, and these are not extensive, but there are generally three philosophies and I'm a caveat. Ancestor worship is a big part of this. Ancestor worship is a tradition in China that's gone on for a very long time. And it's very important. Um, it's, it's just, I can't go into any detail because it's too much, but the main idea is like, Think about a culture that one of their religious aspects, and when I'm talking about religion, I'm going to be on my podcast doing a series on religion very soon. Religion as a Western concept is very mutually exclusive. You're either a Christian or you're a Muslim or you're a Jew or you're one of these things. You can't be multiple things. But in a lot of other parts of the world and in world history, belief systems are a little bit more 
variable. So uh, there are multiple things at play here. And um, ancestor worship, which has religious, through Western definitions, religious traits to it, you could argue it's a religion, you could argue it's not. Same thing with these other things, especially Taoism. Um, but ancestor worship, think about a culture, a long lasting culture that has a history of ancestor worship. So you worship your own ancestors that are enshrined in, uh, in, in cultural homes in, in different ways and different ritual practices. And you, uh, it, it's, it's a, uh, there are a lot of things in Chinese culture that are just imbued with the, um, with the character of a long lasting culture and a, and a culture that thinks in, in long periods of time, in, in hundreds of years, in generations, rather than thinking in the, the Western way of thinking in, in three month quarters. There, there, is a, there is a cultural difference in the way that time and you as an individual are viewed in China than there is in the West. And just like everywhere else, but in China, the, the culture, and I, I hope I'm not mis, mis this is my opinion, of course, but um, it's it's very it, it's like I said, it's it's based in long periods of time and worshiping ancestors is an aspect of this that shows how long they think of time, because when you're worshiping the ancestors, you're you're not only worshiping the past and you're worshiping people that lived long before you, but you're working towards the ancestors and building your own shit up, you know, like you're working to yeah. then become the ancestor and set your children and your children's children and seven, eight generations down the line. This is in the DNA of the culture of the Chinese, this ancestor worship. Um, and then we have Taoism legalism and confucianism and these are three very important philosophies in uh china and, and these come in the, these come about in different times so taoism which is one that i i really like i uh i usually have my my book of the Tao somewhere around here i guess i don't have it right now but i usually have it um <laughs> it's uh it came during a time, one of these times of political fragment, fragmentation and social unrest. So this is one of those times of disunity it, in, the, in the Zhao dynasty, Z-H-O-U. So this is just before the creation of, uh, of the modern Chinese state under Qing Shi Huangdi. So this guy Lao Zi and this other guy, um, Shuang Shi, um, it's, it's about, it, it's kind of like a, a peasant religion almost. Like it's like a, uh, it's... It, I'm never going to get through this stuff if I don't, if I don't go short, but Taoism <laughs> is good. about living in harmony with the natural world. It comes out of one of these times of disunity and it, it has wisdom for rulers, leaders for how to deal and, and basically not deal with if like not deal with the changes over time, like they're inevitable, all this type of stuff. Um, legalism comes about during the warring states period, which is like at the tail end of the Zhao dynasty. And legalism kind of takes, in certain ways, the opposite approach from Taoism. <laughs> and legalism is all about military rule. It's very Prussian, would be the closest thing to compare it to. Okay. It's, it's, it's even more strict than Prussian, right? So, it, so it's like, um, these guys, it's all about authority. It's all about, like, you got to follow the leader. Um, and the leader's supposed to do good stuff, but there's really no checks or balances in legalism. Um, 
but that's why they have multiple ones, right? You have legalism, you have Taoism. There are certain things. All the dynasties take certain parts from from each and certain parts from the other, and it it creates a balance, kind of. Um, yeah, they kind of mix them all together. Right, right. So, and um, but again, so they're they both come out of Taoism and legalism. They both come out of periods of disunity, uh, just different ways to address it and different different like ways of you know, persevering the culture, continuing the culture through this. Um, so legalism believes in a strong centralized state. This is the perfect belief system for a um, perfect belief system for an empire. Um, and, and that's why it is, you know, it's still important today. I mean, you can see legalistic things in modern China. Um, you can see legalism, legalistic things in, in communist China as well. And then the other one, uh, Confucianism. And Confucianism is a little bit in the middle. Um, it originated, again, during the late Zhao period, like, like Confucianism and Taoism. And it was very important during the, the Han Dynasty, but it's important today as well. And Confucianism deals with the relationships. It's, it's kind of mild in like temperament in between Taoism and legalism. And what's very important is uh, relationships between individuals. So the five relationships, ruler, subject, father, son, husband, wife, there's a few others. It emphasizes these relationships and these hierarchies that go up and up to the emperor. So it's perfect for a hierarchical, hierarchical society stemming from at the bottom. You have a household with a patriarch, uh, the man to the woman, those that relationship where the man provides for the woman, the woman provides for the man, uh, the the son serves the father, the father provides for the son. You know, these types of relationships are emphasized gotcha. all the way up military commanders like like a lieutenant to a to a staff NCO, you know, and then a, a lieutenant to like a captain like these all these relationships are are dealt with in Confucianism and it both ends of each side of those relationships is dealt with in Confucianism. So what you're supposed to do when you're when you're in charge or above someone else and how how you're supposed to act with those above you. And so each person, except ultimately the emperor or the smallest child, is going to have both a, a upper and a lower relationship, right? And the way that you act inside these relationships provides balance and harmony and the culture persevering over time because all of these relationships are encouraged to work in a particular way. And the hierarchy gotcha. is established in a religious and um, ideological way. So yeah. Um, and there's a little, I, I have a little chart that's shared with you in the document I put on my, yeah, my thing. Yeah, so Taoism, focus, nature, individual, the minimal role of the government doesn't really deal with it too much um, or explicitly tells you kind of don't do anything with it. <laughs> um, and then, I mean, the other ones are there. I already went through it. Okay. You have any questions? No, I like the, and for those of you that are listening to this, if you check out the graph, it, it goes a little bit. It's just like a brief overview of each one, but I like the good, but easily corrupted for Taoism, the evil and must be controlled by, for the legalism, the view of human nature. This is the, the part of it. And then uh, Confucianism good, but needs to be cultivated. And I think that's important. I think that it's, I mean, society morality is the focus Rule of government, rule of government is uh, meritocratic, and uh, the view of human nature is good, but needs to be cultivated for Confucianism. And I think that's an interesting point because it seems like they're pulling 
from multiple aspects of because like there's something to be said with law and order like it, it comes up in almost every society ever but there's also a very negative view on it to certain extents and probably even for us we have a very negative view on certain aspects when people say law and order in a specific way or talking about a specific way of ruling it's like oh you're trying to you know push people down and like get it out of there but they've taken three different very different focuses and of belief systems and kind of merge them all and i just think that's interesting and i would have never known anything about any of those three um besides confucianism just because i've heard it more and it's talked about a lot more currently when uh bringing up china yeah and i i mean confucianism is probably the I, I would call Confucianism the the structural one. I mean, Confucianism and yeah. then basically Confucianism and God, I mean, this is so basic that like it would be so easy to poke holes in this, but oh, the yeah, most yeah, yeah. simple understanding that that I could give. And as soon as you look into it deeper, you're like, no, that's wrong. But just for the most basic understanding, Confucianism is like the societal um, like bedrock. It's the societal foundation of Chinese culture with ancestor worship being the mystic and religious, more religious, more supernatural aspects related gotcha. to that. And then with legalism and Taoism, I mean, those, those wax and wane a little bit more in popularity that they're, they're ever present, but Confucianism is, is providing the foundation for, for all of this gotcha. with an, uh, tied gotcha. in with, with ancestor worship. Yeah. Typo. Are you good? You got anything? Uh, yeah, I'm good. I'm, okay. I don't know anything about this <laughs> stuff, so I'm just like happy to learn right I now. I don't know anything. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> and it, look, again, I'm not an expert on any of this. I'm just, I have a very basic understanding of the far big picture expanse. So like any, yeah. any details, I mean, there's people like Patrick McFarlane and um, that does a really good job. There, there's plenty of great books and specifics. And if anybody, like if you're in my Discord community or, or you know, the Buddy and the Bullet guys, you ask them for recommendations on on further knowledge and like what a good book is. And I can probably help you out with that. Um, but like for myself, I might not be able to answer it, but I can probably point you in the right direction of of any well, of I, these. It'll probably Yeah, it'll probably become more uh conversational once we get into the, you know, the 20th, 20th century and things like that. That'll be when it's I like this because it sets up really yeah. why it is the way it is when it gets to the 20th century and how it is today. Yeah. Yeah, and and we're actually almost there. Um, I just have one more concept to introduce. Um, Perfect. Before we're we're in the before we're in the Qing Dynasty, at least. So, overview: We talked about the dynasties over time. We've talked about ancient China, how it leads into Qing Shi Huangdi. Um, we've talked about legalism, Taoism, Confucianism, ancestor worship. These are all the foundational type things about China. We talked about these periods, these dynasties, and then periods of disunity, dynasties, periods of disunity. It goes back and forth, but they always come back. The Han Chinese always come back. Like it's, they're the most, like they they were contemporaneous, like the Chinese empire. I mean, I would call China today that, excuse me, the Chinese empire. They still have 10% 10% of their population is minorities. They have far-reaching soft power into Africa, into Southeast Asia, right. into traditional tributary states like Vietnam. They, they, they have power extensively. Um, I forget where I was going with that, but that's fine. That's what we talked about. There's one more concept, <laughs> and that is the concept of China as the Middle Kingdom. So China is called the Middle Kingdom. 
And this is because it is believed in China, this is a pervasive uh, in, in history, and also it's kind of in the culture today, and for good reason, that China is the cultural and political center of the world, right? So they're okay. the center of the world in, in a similar way that Rome would have viewed themselves as the center of the world. And right. in their world, that was true. I mean, Correct. when Rome was around, they're the center of their world. You go far enough away, there's the Indus River civilization, that's, that's the center of their world. And then the Han Chinese are, they're out there and they're the center of their world, 100%. Yeah. But the, um, what happens later in what we're going to talk about in just a few minutes is that these worlds expand to the point where it's now just one world, right? Like 1700s, 1800s, right. it becomes one world rather than there's separate worlds, right? Like they're, they they become connected in a way because of technology and everything. So that, I mean, that's really the root of modern China and the root of why this dynastic period that survives from this, this period that, that can be shown to be having like very similar uh, characteristics between 220 BC and 1912. Like that's why it survives that entire length of time more than any other civilization in history that stayed together to that extent. So the middle kingdom, it's the center of the world in all ways. Um, And this, this was created during the Zhao dynasty right before Qing Shi Huangdi. And it stayed there. And by the time the Qing dynasty, the Ming dynasty, right before the Qing, by the time that comes, comes around, you have this thing called the tributary system. And in this tributary system, expanding out from China, there are different States sometimes on the periphery, some of them leave and come back under the tributary system like Vietnam but these are all lesser states that pay homage to China. And for the, for the closest ones, it's very, very big. Korean culture before the Japanese invaded was essentially Confucian. They, they were, they, their culture was based on China. Like it was just based on China. It was fully based on China. Um, they, they were, they studied Chinese artists and everything. It was, it, they treated Korea at that time treated China, the Middle Kingdom, which is called the Middle Kingdom in the Korean language and in the Japanese language, they treated them like Renaissance people treated Rome, but they still exist. So it it would be like a Renaissance. It would be like a, a English Renaissance painter, like paying homage, studying the classics, studying the Greeks and the Romans. But the Roman Empire is fucking down the road. And it still exists. Like it's <laughs> yeah. it's that fucking crazy, right? It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's insane because like it, it's just fucking. They're wild. like vassal states, right? Like they're just yeah they're vassal states, and they're 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 like the little brother of so China. <laughs> it's it's not as like it's not as direct as a vassal relationship. Okay. It's it's more of um because I don't think that they fought in the Chinese armies at certain points. They so might it's have. more worship. Well, it's it's a it's a, an exchange of goods in return for like protection and gotcha. homage. So, I mean, the Korean like the Korean culture is based around the Chinese culture. They become prosperous. I mean, their culture went like the people that decide like, hey, let's adopt Chinese ideals. They went out in Korea. That's why Korea becomes that way. That's why they're so influenced. And to a lesser extent, this happened in Japan and to a lesser extent because they're they're on an island. And of course, the Koreans always had their own culture. They always put their own spin on it. And the Japanese, to an even greater extent. 
but th they all right. like th this tributary system, they're paying tribute, right? So it's certain like the Vietnamese are paying tribute to the Chinese, which gotcha. are thousands of miles away. Like today, China proper borders Vietnam, but like those people, like the people that live, if you look at an ethnic map of China, the Han Chinese, which is 90% of the population of the country of China, they live in a very small portion centered around the East Coast. All the edges around it, there are these minorities. On the South, there's a bunch of different minorities. Then there's Tibet out to the Southwest, the uh, right. Xinjiang, Xion, East Turkestan. Sorry, Xinjiang, I might get kicked off YouTube or something. <laughs> Xinjiang, the, the place where the Uyghurs live, the Uyghurs live there. Inner Mongolia is a part of China, the, the bunch of Mongolians. More Mongolian, ethnic Mongolians live in China than live in Mongolia. <laughs> wow. Manchuria, full of Manchus and, and plenty of Koreans too. There's millions of ethnic Koreans in China proper. Um, so, but Vietnam, they, they like with like 15th century technology, they have a sphere of influence in Vietnam, which is thousands of miles away from their heartland because these are all tributary states throughout. Today, they're part of China proper, but back then they were part of the tributary system because the technology was not in line for them to be able to rule over those minorities directly. Today it is. Today they can gotcha. rule over the minorities directly. So they're part of in the in the organization. They're they're part of China right. itself. But back then it, it was just a, a tribute relationship. Okay. So Middle Kingdom. So the Qing Dynasty, Middle Kingdom. We are now in the 19th century. Or we're not in the 19th century. We're in 1798. Okay, so um, here we go. East meets West, 1793. The British diplomat, George McCartney, um, he led a diplomatic mission to China with the aim of establishing better trade relations and securing greater access for British merchants. Um, okay, I'm sorry, guys. I know I brought us right up to the 19th century, but I got to back up for a second. Um <laughs> So in Roman times, in the Middle Ages, all of it, the Chinese, Chinese goods, for most of human history, which is crazy because we think of it in the opposite, but Chinese goods were the most prized in the entire world. Like Chinese right. finished goods, not like spices, but like Chinese stuff. Like in 17th century New England, in 1630s, where, where I live, when there were fucking wild Puritans coming over here. And they were like at risk of, of a fucking Native American coming through your front door and killing you with an axe or, or a bow and arrow or some shit. They were ordering Chinese fucking goods from China. The richest people were getting those in. <laughs> They're like, yeah, these are our priorities. Let's start fucking schools and get Chinese finished plateware over here, even though we're like in annihilation wars with the local Native Americans. But whatever. <laughs> and... The, the somewhat cheaper stuff, seven, I'm talking 17th, 18th, even 19th century, the, the European motherfuckers, the, the slightly less rich people, they're just copying the Chinese shit. They're imitating it and they're making it worse. Um, but whatever. <laughs> so the Chinese goods, but and tea, okay? Dude, dude, that's like what China does now. They take our shit and they make like a worse version of it, you know? 100%. 
They're getting back at us in more ways than you realize. We're going to talk about all the ways that China is very directly getting back at the West for the bullshit that the West did in the 19th century. There is metaphor like, after you. metaphor. Dude, I mean, it's it might not even be purposeful, but it's like, it, if you, from the Chinese perspective, it's poetic fucking justice, man. It's insane, the direct <laughs> relation between what the West in the form of mostly the British and the French, but also the Americans, the Dutch, the Germans, these other people, it's insane the direct like link in metaphors that you can make between what the West did in the 19th century and what China is doing now. Um, yeah, call it Ching Shi Huang Di's revenge or some shit. Um, <laughs> dude, so 1793. The East India Company is fucking broke because everybody in England is just buying Chinese shit. And the Chinese don't want to buy any British shit. Okay, I, I said earlier, China views themselves at the center of the world. The English, they view themselves as the center of the world. The sun rises and sets on the British Empire. They view themselves as the center of the world. The English do the fucking just the same way the Chinese do. But now their worlds are meeting because the English people are learning how to fucking go around the globe and beat up Indian people and make them be their subjects and get spices and sell it everywhere. But the, the English are still fucked because their people love Chinese shit so much that they bankrupt the entire country. Like this isn't an exaggeration. This is something <laughs> the English needed to address because they're out of fucking gold. The Spanish are getting so much gold from fucking from South America. It's just going to China. It's fucking it's wild, dude. It's fucking crazy. But the the way the English deal with this is they're like, they're like, Hey, we're going to open a trade relationship with the Chinese. So 1793, George McCartney, he goes in there and he goes up like a few hundred miles from the Chinese Imperial city. And he's like, Hey, we want to talk to your emperor. And the Chinese people are like, dude, like who the fuck are you? You can't like jump chain of command like that. There's like 30 <laughs> bureaucrats you got to talk to first. Um, and that's something we haven't talked about, but the bureaucracy of China is crazy. It was, it was crazy back then. It was, it's crazy today. That's that's why their culture succeeds so much is bureaucracy. It's a big part of it. Um, dude, so they come they come with a whole delegation of the fucking center of the world soldiers. They got red coats and fucking muskets and shit. They're coming in with gifts of the best goods that England has to offer. And they go to the Chinese emperor and this this fucking British diplomat is like walking up to the king like he's just some guy and everyone else is kowtowing. They're getting down on their fucking hands and knees. It's it's like, you know how Muslim people pray where they're like on their yeah. their their knees? That's yeah. that's what kowtowing is, but they're not praying to God. They're praying to the yeah, fucking they're praying God to emperor. The emperor. They're praying like they're they're <laughs> giving the same level of devotion that Muslim people do when they're praying to a man. That's what's happening, which is fucking crazy, right? Like they're they're kowtowing to the ground. I'm not worthy. It's like a fucking yeah. It's it's like everyone's Garth in this situation. It's pathetic. Um, <laughs> okay, so <sighs> fucking Mike Myers. Okay, give me a second. I, I schizo ranted. I schizo ranted. Luke, Luke Lenay. It happened. It's not about bananas. It'll happen about bananas, but it fucking happened. Okay, so they got all these gifts for the fucking emperor. They come in, they they like, they want to transport them over land, but the British have like these fucking, they have these like, they have these uh, instruments, these like really fancy, modern, like very sensitive naval instruments to show off how great the English are. And they tell the Chinese like, no, we, we can't go over land, our instruments will get injured. So they get taxied like a few hundred miles by like Chinese delegates. To meet the emperor they meet the emperor everyone kowtows 
McCartney is like, I'm not going to kowtow. And they work out this weird deal where they try to work out this deal where like George McCartney is like, okay, you guys have to get a Chinese. I will kowtow to the emperor. But when every time that I kowtow to the emperor, this sounds like a joke, but it isn't. He tries to get them to agree to every time I kowtow, I am George McCartney. I am the representative of like his majesty, George the third or whoever the fuck it is. He's like, I, I have a portrait of our king. I need a Chinese diplomat of a similar rank to mine to kowtow to the portrait every single time that I kowtow to the emperor. And the Chinese are like, no, what the fuck, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> and like, yeah, it, like I get it. Yeah. It's really stupid to kowtow to a portrait, but the Chinese, they're like, that's ridiculous. Why would we kowtow? We're better than you. We're the center of the universe. But the the fucking British dude, you is came like, to us, motherfucker. Yeah, and you they're so came confused. to me. They're so fucking confused. They're like, "What are you talking about, dude?" Like, to the in the Chinese perspective, they're bending over backwards for this guy. They're like, they yeah. let him jump the chain of command in a certain way, talk to the emperor. They let them have the audience. They let them go over water instead of over land. From the Chinese perspective, they're like letting this dude do whatever, and he's like making demands of like their god king, which is fucking crazy. Who is this guy? Like he's lucky that they don't throw him off like the 40th story. Fuck this dude. Um, dude, so it doesn't really get solved. George McCartney does like half of a fucking kowtow, and I'm pretty sure that the Chinese were just like, dude, whatever, just what the fuck do you want at that point? And so he gives them he he like gives them all the gifts and the chinese are like cool thanks bro like that's sweet like they this recognize you're it supposed as like to do <laughs> right you're supposed they're looking to give at it like tribute. a tribute exactly that's it's it's from the british perspective it's like look at how cool our shit is our shit is so good you must want to trade with us because our our because we're so great and we're we have all this great stuff to offer the chinese take the stuff they're like cool these barbarians have some cool shit but like they're fucking barbarians and i'm not kidding i mean almost direct translation these are barbarians these are not these are people far away that of course would pay tribute to the greatest emperor of the world wow. the, the so the, this is um, so this is yeah. this is china not even knowing who england is right like it's not it's china so, not they, giving they, a fuck who england is i mean it, they, they so did they but did they know did they understand that they have like you know because at this time they had the you know the greatest naval fucking fleet ever in the history of mankind yeah. and you know See, they just the, did they did get fucking destroyed by the united states a little bit before that but you know like they're did they realize who, vietnam dude like a hundred <laughs> years before this there was a chinese emperor like a hundred or two hundred years before this there was a chinese emperor who was like who they had the best fleet ever they had huge fleets they had there were chinese pirate fleets that were bigger than the british fleet at this point i'm pretty sure that's but the, the chinese fleet that's was huge the chinese funny. navy was crazy they went all around the ocean and at a certain point they had so much power they had these things called treasure fleets and they just took a bunch of gold and they went all around the east china sea they went all around to the philippines vietnam just giving everybody shit like they were fucking mansa musa and then after that, they were like, well, I don't give a shit. Why are we sailing anywhere? We got everything we need right here. And they burned their fucking fleet. They don't give a shit about the British Navy. They don't when, care. They, they moved. When did that them. happen? Like, when um, did they I, burn their fleet? He said it was like 100 years before that. Uh, I, let, me, let me Google it. Let me Google it. Because that's a very interesting thing that I didn't do. Um, that's insane. That's wild. They, I've, heard, like, we I've don't, heard this we don't, before. We don't even need that. Yeah. I've they, heard this dude, before, but I, don't never, I never understood, like, 
damn, dude, they just gave up fifteen twenty-five. Like it was a little bit more. Wow. Yeah. So the greatest navy in history, which once had thirty-five hundred ships, thirty-five hundred ships, they burned it because they had no purpose for it in fifteen twenty-five. In 1492, the Spanish crown sent three fucking dingy-ass Karaks, one Karak and two smaller <laughs> ships across the fucking ocean with 200 diseased fucking Spaniards. And 30 years after that, the Chinese empire burned 3,500 ships because they didn't see a purpose, because they didn't. there was nothing left for them to go to in 1525. The, I just want to let people know, the United States Navy currently has... 485 ships in both active service and reserve fleet of these approximately 60 ships are proposed or scheduled for retirement. Yeah. I mean, these are, and these are not like uh, you could quickly, these aren't like dinkies. No, these These are ships. These are proper ships. They're massive. You know, these are, these are crazy. Um, And they just fucking burned them and just said, we don't need to sail around. We got everything here. Yes. The son of heaven isolation policy i've ever heard of dude a hundred percent it's a fucking libertarian's wet dream they were like we got everything we need (laughs) these british motherfuckers they just show up and they want to trade with us but the chinese they get all the gifts they're like okay you paid us tribute and they're like we don't and then the british are like we want to trade with you and they're like what are you talking about we have everything we don't need shit what do you mean you have nothing to offer us besides tribute and we didn't even ask for it you came here motherfucker you came here. What do you want? Um, so they don't care. And the British just leave. The British just fucking leave. And there were at this point over the next few decades, there's a few, there's a few trades. Um, and by the way, I, I said it a second ago, but the son of heaven is the title is what the emperor of China means. The son of heaven. Yeah, it's the God, God king, king emperor. Right? The fucking yeah. God king. Yeah. Okay. Um, and it, you'd have a hard time arguing with it, with the way that people treat him and the wealth of the fucking empire and the vastness and expansiveness of it. This is a people who, who held imperial tributary power over thousands of miles, hundreds of years after they burned their fucking fleet. It's insane. Okay. It's, <laughs> it's, it's a fucking fluke of history that the Europeans were big for 300 years. They ain't shit now. They're, it's it's wild um yeah you're gonna get some nationalists yelling at me about that but whatever um okay fuck it dude so yeah mccartney goes home mccartney goes home and there are a few more events that happen and then 1839 the opium wars break out so they didn't have a fucking choice essentially the british are like look we're broke because everyone loves the chinese shit we can't make them stop loving chinese shit because it's such good shit china makes the best shit they make it china has the best shit okay sorry so wait i have one more question for you so why were there so many people coming to the united states from china during this time period too is it just because china fucking sucked for the peasants or what um are we taking them what's happening so China like freed to build the, the railroads, like that whole big thing. Okay. China freed their slaves in the 19th century. They they changed the way, oh. like they were like a peasant class, and so the people that came from China to work on the railroads, they were treated horribly here. They were treated very very horribly here. They were not treated as bad as they were back home before then. I mean, gotcha. like this is this was. I mean, that's usually what it is, right? I mean, that's usually yeah. what it is. 
Yeah. So they, they were they were recently enslaved. They were freed from slavery. And then the type of labor that they were performing in the United States working on the railroad was a I, I'm going to say a single step up from slavery. So it's, it's better than slavery. So it was better than what they dealt with before, but like barely. Right. So it was still very yeah, poor yeah. conditions, okay. but it, it was preferable to the um, this stuff in China. And they gotcha. were also able, these Han Chinese people being over in America, they were able to, to um, uh, they, were, they weren't under the Manchu foot at that point when they were in gotcha. America. So there was another level of that. I, I think in, in certain places they were able to, to have their traditional Han Chinese hair uh, as opposed to the Manchu hair and things like that. Gotcha. And then gotcha. to a certain level, I mean, and this is true today. The, the Chinese in America, they viewed their subjects as still under the Chinese. And, and this is true in the West yeah, yeah. today. I mean, there are places where the Chinese are, are in America, in Canada, in Australia, in Europe, um, enforcing their laws uh, quiet. Let's take a break for our sponsor. And our sponsor is once again, David Day. David offers a legal protection membership. It gives you access to attorneys 24-7 for as little as a dollar a day. When you're pulled over, don't talk to the police. Shut the fuck up and call your attorney. When a company screws you over, don't try and call or fight your way out of it. Have your attorney write them a letter. Take action to be the man of your house and protect your family from the worst aspects of the state. Visit David's website, daviddday.com backslash bullet so he knows that we sent you there his website is daviddday.com backslash bullet that's d-a-v-i-d-d-d-a-y.com backslash bullet thank you david for sponsoring the show again let's get back to it so opium wars opium wars um so I, I know I said that the Chinese, they burned their fleet in 1525. At this point, they have a little bit of a fleet. They, they have some fleet later, but not anywhere close yeah. to what they had before. Um, and actually, I think 1525, this was prior to the Qing dynasty. This was in the Ming dynasty, because I think the Ming dynasties ended in the early 1600s when the Qing ascended. Okay. So first opium war starts 1839, ends in 1842, because the, the Chinese are like, dude, like you guys are smuggling opium in. That's their solution, by the way. The British solution Dude, is the what? fucking. Oh, that like sounds the, familiar. Like the like how the cartels are to us today is what the British was. That sounds to familiar. The fucking, to the fucking Chinese, they're like these fucking scumbags are smuggling shit to our country. Like what the fuck? Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent, one hundred percent. So the Chinese government, like the fucking British, are fucked up over like economically they're fucked up so their solution is we're just going to sell opium and the chinese government is like dude stop selling opium you can't sell opium here and the british are like mm, fuck you we're still going to sell opium and then the chinese government seizes a bunch of opium and the british are like war give us our shit back or we're going to do war and china was like dude fuck you you were like selling opium you're selling drugs in our community what the fuck like it, it so it's so they go to war but everybody is fucking blown away everybody in china is like what the fuck when the british come in and they win and they whoa so the british these fucking barbarians it's embarrassing because the chinese are already like dude we're being led by these manchu barbarians already and now these fucking white barbarians come in on these weird ass ships and they shoot us with these fire sticks 
Like they, they took gunpowder, which they'd been using for like a thousand years for fireworks. And they, they brought it into guns and the Chinese people are like, what the fuck is going on? They're, they're blown away. They can't fucking believe it because their God emperor kingdom is defeated by these foreign bar, dirty ass barbarians. Like the British people that are coming to China are like sailors. Okay. They're not like, they're not sending their best. Um, not, I was just gonna say that they're not sending their best. No, they they weren't. I mean, the guys like McCartney, the the diplomats, are are going to look a little bit better. They're going to be more presentable. But like yeah. at this point, dude, the sailors, the actual they like enlisted sailors, three months, <laughs> they're a class that's a step above slaves. That's a different conversation. But yes, they're like dirty ass <laughs> fucking peasants that have been on ships. Like, but yeah. They're so, doing the opium in the bottom of the cargo. Like, <laughs> yeah. So um, <laughs> they, I mean, a lot of them probably were. Um, I, I think they were. So, uh, so the British, they defeat the Chinese and, and guess what? The Chinese have to cede to the British. There's a right. piece of Hong, land. Hong Kong. Hong, Hong, Hong Kong. Fucking Kong. Wow. Hong Kong. 1842 the the chinese emperor is forced to give up hong kong to the chinese and it's a massive embarrassment it's way down there i think it's in a minority place um i i think uh it's, it's in a minority but it is a fucking disaster for the chinese they have to give up this land to these foreigners um so they defeat uh, the Chinese, they have to cede uh, Hong Kong and they have to open five ports to uh, foreign trade. And this becomes more than just the British. Okay, but, oh, and they have to pay an indemnity. They have to pay money, which it, which means that the, uh, the, the fucking son of heaven has to tell this dirty ass fucking British dude that, yeah, I'll pay you money like they pay them tribute. There's symbolism in this. The Chinese emperorship uh, mm. is rich. I think it was a lot of money, but it's like they have plenty of money. But there's symbolism in that they're now paying tribute to the British and they're being forced to open their ports and they've been given land that is historically under the rule of China. I mean, it's enough to make your fucking blood boil um, if you're Chinese. I don't give a shit, but um, <laughs> second opium war. This happens in 1856, soon after. Um, I mean, the, 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 the foreigners, the Westerners, they push their luck. And because they can't, because they're able to get more, because the Qing emperor, everybody sees at this point, they're like, oh, shit, like they can't do anything. These people can come from a thousand, thousands of miles away on these shitty boats and they can really, they can really fuck us up. And then all these other people, everybody in China knows that the Qing emperor got defeated by barbarians because they view these people as barbarians, too. They view the emperor as right. the son of heaven. So there's cracks in that idea. Because when you're the son of heaven and you get defeated by some people that no one's ever fucking heard of that showed up on some rinky dink ass fucking ships, you're like, wait a minute, who, who is this guy? He's the so son of heaven. How'd they win? Why did they, why did they, what was the, like, how did they win? What was the, did they go into the emperor's fucking doorway with guns and shit or what? Like, what I was mean, this, the, this is 1840. Just like we're taking too many losses. It, it was, it was naval power. It was, um, it was their strategy. It was military discipline. It was, it was the weapons gotcha. that they use. I mean, the, the Chinese, even the Japanese don't have significant firearms at this point. The Japanese modernized very quickly right. in that, in that regard, but the, the Chinese yeah, have not adopted it. these things because they, 
they modernize much slower because they're like, we don't need this shit. We're China. We're top dog. Right. And only right. once people are like, okay. only once the cracks become chasms in the idea that China is not top dog anymore, do they really start to modernize? And we're going to get into right. that in a little bit. Um, if you guys have time, I'll stay here all night. Yeah, we're good. Um, okay. So second um, second opium war. So the war was sparked by a dispute over the Arrow, a ship that was flying the British flag, but was suspected of being a pirate ship. It probably fucking was a pirate ship. I mean, the British, they, yeah. for, for like 150 years, they've been like the British had privateers that they were running like in the fucking shadows. This was like what the British did. Privateers are just pirates with a, a fucking letter from a king or a queen. That's all they are. Right. Um, but they're, so they're, at this point, I mean, the British are looking for a reason to go to war again and get more concessions. They don't care. I mean, they're just going to keep doing whatever they want. And eventually they're going to push them to their limit and there's going to be a war. And the British are like, whatever, we'll just beat them again. And this time the French join. Fucking French. The bastards. Yep. So the French come. Uh, the French come with the British and they attack Chinese forts and cities. They defeat the Chinese government and there's another treaty signed. Um, and it's the Treaty of Tianjin. I, I hope that's the correct treaty. Um, I can't confirm that. Some of the stuff with the AI, which I, I used for a lot of this background, is sometimes wrong. I corrected a few things when I noticed them. Um, which further opened China to foreign trade and gave foreigners more privileges. So this is this is a huge fucking embarrassment for China, these opium wars defeats. Um, so here are some uh, consequences of the opium wars that I that I spelled out. So China was forced to open its markets to foreign trade. So I, I don't know if you guys are reading this, but this is what happened. This led to the influx of cheap foreign goods, which damaged China's own industries. So the Industrial <laughs> Revolution era Westerners are creating inferior copies of Chinese goods at a cheap price that are then being purchased in China instead of the native Chinese industry goods, which is wow. the opposite of what has happened the last 50 years in America and the rest of the West. Um, yeah, so they were the epitome of, the, of quality. China was up until this point. Um, so this was this was not weird to them. Um, so they were forced to cede ter territory, Hong Kong. Um, oh, in part at, at the end of the second one, they had to cede parts of Manchuria to Russia. So Russia, which is expanding eastward at this point, this is white Russia prior to the Soviet Union. Um, I'm not going to go into too much detail on this, but just so everyone knows, yeah. Russia and China are at a lot of points in history, natural enemies because the people in the periphery of the Russian empire, these minorities that live in like Siberia and Yakutsk and these places in the East, as well as the minorities that live on the periphery of uh, of China's emperor, empire, they, it's it's up to debate who those people live under, whether they live under the Chinese or the Russian rule. So, I mean, there have been constant right. conflicts since about the 1800s when technology allowed them to creep into each other about this. And I think that the United States, from a geopolitical perspective today, has done a very poor job of driving a wedge which would be very easy between China and the Soviet Union and with economic sanctions have actually drawn China and Russia closer together, which is a mistake together. geopolitical. It's a, it's a huge mistake because China Absolutely. and Russia together is a danger to the Western way of life. 
And they've done things that have pushed them to be closer where, where they are naturally not close. They have natural tension. They have, right. they have one of the biggest land borders in the world. Okay. So that's an issue today. So indemnities to foreign powers, it was a financial burden from China. Um, oh, okay. So I guess it was enough money to be a financial burden. But again, there's the symbolism of just being forced to pay these goddamn yeah. barbarians, these fucking round eyes. Um, <laughs> prestige damaged, showed that China um, wasn't powerful. And at this point, China needs to modernize its military and its economy. And that is what leads into these civil wars and what leads into the communists taking power, which we'll go into more detail in a second. Um, so they needed to catch up with the West. They needed to, to figure out how they were going to modernize to fight off these Western encroachments, which eventually became Japanese encroachments, Japanese using Western methods of modernization. It was the Japanese, I mean, a marvel of of modern modernization it was insane how quickly oh, they were absolutely. able to adopt these things it's it's a i mean that that same insanity drove them to be one of the cruelest empires in history but you know it's still in in that respect it was it was very very cool um okay the opium wars lead to the rise of chinese nationalism and just just so we understand yeah. it chinese nationalism right i mean just the concept of chinese nationalism in the in the in the concept of naturalism nationalism that's a western concept so they're already adopting a western idea of course there is an idea mm. of a han chinese identity but the way that that manifests itself is with western methods and we're going to talk about the the types of people and where they're influenced by and that is very important who these different figures in the civil war who these modernizing figures like mao zedong sun yat-sen chiang kai-shek where those people are um are educated in and why okay okay so yeah the opium wars um Qing dynasty weaknesses okay so i'm just going to go over these briefly um so the the influence of european culture is in goods already talked about this um these european right. goods they're coming into china and they are hurting the chinese economy um the the foreign powers are using their military technology to destroy uh the chinese militarily and to uh you know in, instill their will upon them um and they are very resistant the chinese empire is very resistant to adopting any of these western technologies because they have this idea for two thousand years that they are the center of the world <laughs> he is the god emperor right why would we adopt any of these barbarian technologies we burned our fleet 400 years ago because we didn't give a shit about this stuff anymore. <laughs> we're chilling here this is till the end of time. I am God's representative on earth. Go fuck yourself. Um, banner armies. The Qing dynasty's military was made up of banner armies. The incentives were all fucked up. These armies, they, they often wouldn't fight. Uh, there, there were things like if, if, uh, if they were defeated in battle, they were executed. So a lot of them, a lot of the a lot of the military commanders, they just didn't want to fight because they're like, I'm not going to fight unless I know I can win because I'm not getting myself killed. Fuck that. So the incentives are all right. fucked up. The banner armies get paid whether they fight for the emperor or not. So they just don't fight. They use excuses and shit. Um, we're going to talk about the civil wars in a second. But in response to, to this, and this has been happening a little bit already, but they, they get a lot more power. In response to the, um, the opium wars showing how weak the Qing dynasty is, warlords prop up and they get a lot of power because the warlords are like well the Qing dynasty they can't protect us so i'm going to take over 
This is like organized crime becoming like the rule. And these warlords, they have personal armies and they fight each other and they vie for power. And because the Qing dynasty is not able to to control everybody because they're not a powerful enough central government to control it, it creates this situation where millions of people are dying millions of people the 19th century five i think five or six of the 10 deadliest wars of the 19th century are different chinese civil wars and some of that is just because yes. of the sheer number of people there are but tens of millions of people die in multiple engagements it, for totals of like 50, 60 million people. It, it's insane, the the absolute numbers of people. Um, so yeah. So these civil wars, um, you have the Dungan Revolt. Or you know what? I'm sorry. Do you guys have any questions? I got a few more pages no. of stuff. Okay. I need to no, you're I, need, good. I need to take a minute though. I need to fucking you're good. News. Sorry. <laughs> you're fine. No, dude. It's just it's just absolutely insane how. Like, what do you remember about China growing up, Typo? Uh, whatever the fuck's in Mulan. That's about all I fucking know, dude. <laughs> like, I'm being serious, dude. I didn't learn shit. I didn't learn shit about China in school. and Or the only thing I know about China is the, uh, the spice trade and how big that was when it first began. Like, that was it. And it's like... And that had a lot more to do with India. Yeah. And it, yeah, it had yeah. more to do with India than it had to do with China. And the thing is, is like for it being such a big, like a country that has existed for as long as it has, because we always talk about empires, right? Especially now, especially libertarians we talk about empires and we talk about how, oh, you know, like the joke is or joke, kind of not joke, 240 years, like that's 240 years, 250 years. That's when empires start to collapse. That's when empires collapse. And it's like, well, it's like I understand that China has gone through periods of great turmoil, but there's been a consistency there that has lasted since for a fucking long ass time. And it hasn't just been the 240 years because we watched the Roman Empire call or not. We didn't watch the Roman Empire collapse, but we know that the Roman Empire fucking collapsed, like straight up collapsed. Rome wasn't a thing anymore. And those types yeah. of. Like while they exist and permeate through culture in certain extents, it itself wasn't a thing anymore. Right. But China and and the always... land, like the Han Chinese. And the land. The Han Chinese control more territory the today time. than they ever have. Yeah. Wow. And they, they've controlled the same heartland forever. Besides a few periods where it breaks up into multiple places, they always come back. Always. It's inevitable. It's inevitable. Like fucking Thanos or you know other yeah it's just crazy would be funny if i thought of it taxes <laughs> yeah it's just crazy that like taxes. you know there's i mean european europe's going bananas during this time too like there's constant wars all throughout europe against each mm -hmm. other and but it's just crazy because i mean that's the type of stuff we hear about i mean we barely you know we we learn about american history here and we barely even learn about like european history i mean we don't yeah. it's mostly you don't really learn yeah, we don't. I mean, I didn't learn too much about the like the Napoleonic Wars in school, or you know, like all the disputes between France and uh, like Britain, and then like what Russia. Like honestly, like a lot of shit. Russia. I like. I just fucking learned. I'm just learning recently. Like I don't yeah. fucking that side of the world is like just not on American radar until like the last. I don't know. 
I probably since communism it's started. It's like, a, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fucking wild. It is. Um, that reminds me, by the way, uh, there's this YouTuber, uh, Jazby or Jabzy, who did a multi-part, like 10 part. I think he just recently actually finished it. Um, and that I've watched twice now, and I probably will watch again. That is the best history on China from the 17th century to today. It's animated, um, on YouTube. It's, it's over three hours long in its entirety. Uh, but but that oh, is that will go in depth about all the stuff I'm talking about. You guys should, you guys, anybody listening to this should check out Jazby on YouTube. That that like it's called like 17th century history of China from the 17th century to today or something, and it's like over three hours long. The whole video, it's amazing. I love it. Done such a good job. Um, and that'll give you even better than what I'm talking about. Obviously, it's longer. Um, okay. Sorry. Civil wars. Civil wars. Okay. So there's a few. I'm, I'm just going to talk about a few of these revolts and I, for a number of different reasons, I chose these ones. So that the Dungan revolt. Okay. So this was in uh, Xinjiang, which is where the Uyghurs live today. And they did back then. And it was Muslim then as it is today. Um, so the Qing empire is, you know, they persecute Muslims then like they did today. They were, excuse me, a minority. And in 1862, just after the Second Opium War, or I think right before the second one, um, there's a revolt. These are Turkic people. Um, it gets defeated. Eventually, it takes a long time, um, but it was a problem for the Qing, or for the yeah for the Qing in in Xinjiang. This was built out of these uh, the the ethnicity that before. When the Qing dynasty was more powerful, it wasn't an issue because the these people, even though they were Muslim, even though they were ethnically not Han, they were like, it's fine. We're better off under this. The Qing start fucking up. They don't really help them that much. They're kind of fucked up. So they're like, hey, now's our chance. This is when it always happens. So this is yep. directly related to the opium wars and what the West did to China. Um, okay, so then there's the Peasants' War, okay? The Peasants' War was motivated by... You know, these people are treated really poorly. Um, so the revolt begins in, be, begins in 1870 in the southwest province of Yunnan. So this is a province that still today is in the periphery of China, in, in the southwest of China, mostly mm -hmm. minorities. Um, and it weakens, it weakens the authority of China in this region. So it's all of these outer regions where it's mostly minorities, where they're much farther away from the Han heartland where these revolts start popping up. And because up until then, they thought they didn't have a chance because of the power of the son of heaven. Um, the Nye, the Nyan rebellion, this is 1853. Um, these were rebels. I'm not sure if they were Han or not. It's just another one. And then the most interesting one, which is the Taiping rebellion. I think this is what <laughs> what was that oh i i've heard that before typing right. the typing rebellion so the, the typing rebellion is very interesting because it is a christian revolt in in a certain Weird. way um there's another name for it uh if can one of you guys look up what the other name for the typing rebellion is because yeah. it's really fucking cool while i'm talking i appreciate it um so this begins in 1850 again in the southern province of uh guangxi so this is this is farther away this is in a place where there's some more minorities 
So this was a Christian. So not only are is there trading going on in into China, there are Christian missionaries coming with the trading. And what often happens is when a foreigner when a foreigner is shown to have like really good shit, their ideology comes with it. Their religion comes with it. You see this with Islam spreading throughout Indonesia and India and other places. Um, but the um, the type so this guy uh, Hong Shui Quan, he was a Christian convert who claimed that he was the brother of Jesus Christ. So China, yeah, and yeah, oh the uh, heavenly kingdom, Taiping heavenly kingdom, the heavenly kingdom. So this guy, so Jesus Christ's brother, after being introduced to Christianity. Jesus Christ's brother decided to challenge the son of heaven to create the heavenly kingdom, a new Chinese Christian empire. Whoa. And that is not a meme or a joke. That is a real fucking the thing troops, that happened. The, the troops were nicknamed the long hair. Hell yeah, brother. Hell yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it, it weakened them. I, I wrote a little thing here. Okay, so the revol- revolts of uh, the revolts and civil wars were a result of a weakened central government. As the Qing could not fight off the Westerners, they appeared weak, and a feedback loop was created as more minorities and lesser powers pressed their opportunity. Some of these revolts centered on foreign technology and belief, like the Taiping Rebellion. As the Chinese government appeared weak in the face of Western Christians, an appeal to Christianity for replacement power makes sense. So, so in this case where these, foreign, these foreigners, these Christian foreigners, are bringing all these great goods in, um, these new goods that are cheaper than the old Chinese goods, and they're of good quality um, because, of, like, because of the techno- technological increases in China or in, a, in Europe during the Industrial Revolution, um, and sh- and that they have militarily defeated the uh, the Chinese Empire. These people are like, yo, this this Christianity stuff's pretty cool. But the Taiping Rebellion kills like <laughs> ten million people or something. It's a lot. Jesus, Jesus Christ, Christ, dude. Yeah, dude, all of these did. I mean, uh, some dude, of them just going through numbers, dude. Like dude. we 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 had a civil war, and and these are to a million dead, and they're mm-hmm. just fucking. Well, they're holocaust and they're all and that people. was our bloodiest like, and that was our bloodiest war and like all these Seriously. took place in the 19th in the 19th century like all of these took place in the 19th century and it's just like a mil yeah. here 10 mil there yep three mil there yep i once yeah no shit of course they won a revolt <laughs> i had a anthropology class with a um I partnered up it was it was such a fun class I had like there were two people that I always worked with in group work it there was like I was like a 26 year old former marine sitting there and my partners were was like this twinkie gay dude who was like 21 and this uh Chinese foreign exchange student I loved them so much we had so much fun oh my god (laughs) um so the Chinese foreign exchange student one day this was an anthropology class so it was it was like 17th century um, interactions in colonial New England between Native Americans and English settlers. So it was a class that included a lot of stuff about what is, this was the deadliest war in American history based on percentages. This was, um, it was a war yeah. that happened between 1674 and 1677, I think, in New England between the New England Confederation, consisting of the Connecticut, uh, Massachusetts, um, and uh, Rhode Island colonies against 
a uh, Native American confederation made up of uh, Algonquin, mostly Native Americans. And like, it was like a few percent of the American population at the time died in this war. That's how deadly it was. But like this Chinese foreign exchange student is reading these documents where like there was battles <laughs> between 174 people and 450 Native American warriors. And she's like, <laughs> why do I give a fuck about this many people? She, she said to me like, when I studied Chinese wars, it's like millions of people. And then I don't know why we're talking about this war where it's where it's just a few hundred people. I don't understand. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's just a backyard you're, you're brawl like, to them. Like they're, they're fucking, like, yeah. that's the neighborhood. That, that's that's like, Tuesday. You know, getting some aggressive, yeah, now, yeah. you know, <laughs> that's the Chicago of China on Memorial Day weekend. Like <laughs> seriously, like, oh my God, there were single days where like, hundreds of times more people died like many single days than existed in the United States at that time. Yeah. Yeah, dude. hundred <laughs> percent. It's fucking crazy. Okay. China, ch like the only reason that people don't realize that China is the human race in a lot of ways, they are the most important thing for, for our history, the history of the human race. The only reason is because of Western ideals in schools. You just hear about Rome and the British Empire so much that like those are the things that you draw importance to. But when you sit back and you look at this from the most like the most like uncomplicated, most baseline way that you can, most big picture, like logical way. Do, yeah, like it, the most like the closest to nothing. So there's a line. It's one of the first lines in the Tao. The Tao that can be named is not the eternal Tao. And that has religious significance, but to me, it also has right. significance towards academic study. Because when I'm looking at things like, if I have to use 15 social constructs and past understandings in history and anthropology and, and other Western academic studies, then I'm, then I'm taking everything and viewing it through the lens of Western culture. And I'm from the West. I will never be able to view anything outside of Western culture truly. But what I can do and what all of us can do is try to make things as least through that lens as possible. We can try our best and be honest with ourselves and view it from all these different perspectives. And when I try right. to make it down to its most basic, the most basic I can go, I see China for 2,500 years, most populous country ever, center of the world. And I think, yeah, they're the center of the world. And we as Americans existing here, I don't know what generation Americans you guys are, but most of my great grandparents were in Europe. They weren't in America. I don't know if my grandkids will be American. I don't know. They might be, they might not. But what I do know is I would bet my fucking soul on the fact that the Chinese are going to exist past the time when America is, Americans exist as a people. Yeah. I mean, we'll the, that the evidence is the there to suggest. That. Yeah. Yeah, the evidence is there to suggest that too. Okay, so now I established briefly the history over a long time of China between the late 1700s uh, or, or from like ancient China to today. I talked about a lot of the stuff in the 19th centuries, all, all the problems in China that they have, the Qing dynasty no longer being able to, to, to establish any sort of power at all. And then you have this situation where the Chinese are like, all right, we have to modernize. But they decide they have to modernize. The Japanese, they get behind the, the empire immediately. The empire itself modernizes. 
and they're they're one thing they start expanding immediately they adopt the guns they they destroy the remnants of the samurai class or it gets folded into the new the new empire this new modernized empire and they go at 150 fucking miles an hour but the chinese yeah. they fight amongst themselves for about 50 fucking years at least more so the qing wow. dynasty it collapses in 1912 and what is established is the chinese republic and that Chinese Republic exists from 1912 onward. 1927, that kind of collapses and it the, the nationalists take over. Um, so I'm going to get into three individuals who represent three different factions. And two of them are very similar. Okay. okay? So we're going to talk about Sun Yat-sen. We're going to talk about Chiang Kai-shek. And we're going to talk about Mao Zedong. So yeah. there, there's two entities. There's the Chinese Republic and the Chinese nationalists. But they're kind of they're, they're, there's overlap and differences between them. But the Chinese Republicans, the Chinese Republic is founded in 1912. They have very little power. They try to create a republic. The nationalists are they they're born out of this Chinese Republic. So Sun Yat Sen, he's he's the head of the of the republic at the beginning. He is a member of the Kalmanting political party. This political party is it oh they might have just lost power but they were up until recently and still are a major party this party this specific party is the ruling party in taiwan which is known as the republic okay. of china okay. today so j just so we're clear i'm gonna call taiwan like the island is called the formosa or taiwan that's the republic of china that is china China, just like the People's Republic of China is China, the People's Republic of China won out eventually because they control mainland, mainland China. But the Republic of China on the island of Taiwan, Formosa, is just as much of an extension of the Chinese. That, that okay. it's, you know, it's obviously the People's Republic of China has more claim to the legitimacy because they control the mainland. But like up until like the 70s, they were still holding on hope that these the Republic of China was going to come back and take over. It hasn't happened, and it probably won't. But you're you're a one China policy guy. Uh okay, no, no, okay, <laughs> hold up. I'm just kidding. I'm just. Kidding. <laughs> I am when I say China, I'm not saying that. Like I'm saying China. Oh God, I have no opinion on the one child one. <laughs> I have no opinion on the one China policy. I have no opinion I, on the one child policy. I don't have an opinion on that either. Look, I, I'm sorry, Cal Manting. I'm sorry, Chinese Communist Party. I bet you both hate me off of this. I respect both of you for different reasons. I'm scared of you. Please don't hurt me. Um, so what I'm saying is that they are both, they both stem from China. Think about it like the Western and the Eastern Roman Empire, but it's much smaller in Taiwan and they don't have as much right, power. Right, 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 right. right? Yeah, so yeah, I'm not yeah, saying yeah. that, I'm not saying that I think that the People's Republic of China should just steamroll over taiwan i'm not saying that um but i am saying that th that they are they stem from the same source like there used to be austronesian people on this island the the chinese kind of killed them all and the ones that are left were like they're sold like into slavery or whatever like they're some of them are around it's yeah it's, it's fucked up it's all fucked up obviously um so 1912 uh, is when this this republic is founded, and Sun Yat Sen is there. He dies in 1925. Um, Chiang Kai Shek is the nationalist. I think, it, like, maybe more fascisty 
than Sun Yat Sen okay. a little bit. He's a little bit more autocratic, a little bit more towards legalism, is what you might say in the Chinese uh, context. So the, the Republic is a little bit too weak. Chiang Kai-shek wants to fix it, make it a little bit stronger. And then Mao Zedong is a communist rebel this entire time. So let's talk about it. There's a reason on this fucking chart why I included political affiliation and then I included schooling. So Sun Yat-sen yep. is Western educated. I forget exactly where Sun Yat-sen, again, this is the guy who starts the Chinese Republic. He's Western educated. It was in, you looking that up for me, Luke? Yeah, I will. Yeah, thanks. Um, appreciate it, Jamie. Um, so, uh, <laughs> Jamie so on my sorry. own show right I now, called man. you Jamie on your own show. That's so fucking disrespectful. Um, let me just tell no, 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 you no, real quick. Good. to fucking... <laughs> yeah, um, Get down to the picture. Um. Chiang Kai-shek. Hawaii. 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 Uh, okay, so he was educated in Hawaii. Enrolled in the Guangzhou Canton Hospital Medical School in 1886. Mm-hmm. He transferred later to the College of Medicine for Chinese in Hong Kong, Hong Kong and graduated in 1892. But yeah, mm-hmm. from he, he Hong- uh, went to yeah, a medical school in Hawaii. British too. In Hong Kong, which is a British island at the time. I mean, it's run British by the British. Island. Yep. And then Hawaii. Yeah, so Sun Yat-sen, he is... He is educated, Western educated in the West. So he is directly trying to bring Western stuff in. And, you know, he's got some propaganda as well. Um, and then you have Chiang yeah, Kai-shek. Western policy doesn't. Right. <laughs> Chiang Kai-shek influenced by the West somewhat directly, but more indirectly, he's educated in Japan through these Western created elements. And that is, they don't like that. So he has this, he has like, he's educated in Japan Okay, and then think about Chiang Kai-shek because he's the guy who in 18 or 1949, even after World War II, because he's fighting, he fights the Chinese a little bit or he fights the Japanese a little bit, fights with the Japanese a little bit. There's like a truce between the nationalists and the communists during certain parts of World War II where they just fight the Japanese and they don't fight each other. Um, But Chiang Kai-shek is Japanese educated at a time when the Chinese people hate japan i mean they still do to a lot a certain yeah. extent there's still a lot of problems with that relationship Dude, we talk about that all the reason. time because everybody acts like the united states is like the most racist place in the world and i was like go to any asian country and talk about like a different asian well yeah, yeah. but like yeah. legitimately though if you talk to like the japanese and talk just start talking about how great china is they will literally like you'll get fucking wrecked or go to go to taiwan or go to go to korea and talk about like the japanese fucking the japanese oh my god i mean korean americans hate the japanese hate japanese oh like two three generations down korean americans hate the fucking japanese oh yeah yeah it's crazy it's Um, bread it's genetic. I know. <laughs> I'm, I'm sticking with it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And then we have Mao Zedong. Um, oh, so, so Sun Yat-sen, Chiang Kai-shek, they come from the upper class, right? Mao Zedong, yep. he's a merchant family. Yep. See, I yep. like Mao That's Zedong. their background. Sounds like a good guy. So look, okay, <laughs> here's the thing. Okay, so this is true. Oh, here we go. Here no, no, comes, so here I'm not saying- Samuel's arc. I'm not like- when so we're not going to talk about much past 1949 so all the all the terrible shit that Mao Zedong does 
we don't know about that right now. So I need everybody to like, and, and this is impossible yeah, yeah. because we've been taught this, but I need everybody. And just so we're clear, this is true about the Korean communists even more so. But you look at Mao yes. Zedong prior to 1940. Oh, typo knows because he read the book. He read the yeah, fucking yeah. book, man. I'm about to, <laughs> I, I, my mentor is uh, my closest academic mentor is a woman named Alexis Dutton. She's one of the foremost experts on East Asia. Um, and I'm going to have her on my podcast really soon, as soon as she gives me, is, oh, is well, nice, nice enough to give me some of her time. Um, so, and that's where I, where, that's who told me to read this book. I mean, if you Google Alexis Dutton, you will find her on any news site, like any, any like CNN, BBC, talking about Korea and China all the time. Um, What's so that, that's where a lot of this stuff comes from. But the thing with the communists is the Chinese and the Korean communists, there is a reason that they fucking won. There is a big reason why they won. And if you look at everything before 1949, you can't, it's very hard to make the argument that the communists are not the more, the, the more humanitarian and the more deserving of becoming the government. Everything they do afterwards, North Korea, and 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 the Chinese communists, everything they do afterwards is awful. Right, is awful. I mean, it it it's, it defy like in Korea, it defies like logic. It defies humanity. But if you compare North Korea to South Korea, and you compare China to Taiwan, it does not become obvious until the 1980s or 1990s that it was better off that the Taiwanese. And the South Koreans were better off than the North Koreans and the Chinese. It takes a very long right. time because there are atrocities and everything committed well into the 60s, 70s, and 80s. But obviously, in hindsight, in 2023, uh, I mean, the communists are way worse. But in 1949, it, it's very hard to argue the opposite. So, and, and I, the details I put in this chart are there for that purpose to show right. why they have legitimacy with the people. And I'm not going to talk about the Koreans today. We're going to talk about the Chinese, but the Korean stuff mirrors the Chinese situation in a very clear way. Very, very clear way. Um, so typo, basically everything I'm going to say now is going to be the Chinese version of the events that you heard about in that book, uh, which is the Korean war by who Bruce Cummings. Uh, yes. Yeah. Okay. Korean War by Bruce Cummings um, is the best book for understanding Korea today. Um, Oracle Bones, in my opinion, is the best for understanding China. So these are, so Sun Yat-sen, Western educated, comes from a merchant family. He starts the Chinese Republic. Chiang Kai-shek makes it a little bit more fascisty. He's the head of the nationalists who continue to fight the communists and fought the Japanese during World War II. His schooling was in a military academy in Japan. He comes from a landowning family um, at, a, at a time when landowning meant like this was like serfdom type shit. Okay. This wasn't like, it's not like he's, he owns like a duplex where he has a personal relationship with his tenants. Yeah. He's a fucking feudal Lord, essentially. Mao Zedong, his affiliation was, is with the Chinese communist party. Um, he was self-educated. He was a peasant. And that was his background, you know, so, wow. uh, so their roles in the Chinese civil war, um, Sun Yat-sen, he sets up the Chinese Republic dies in 1925. He did some stuff early on, 
Um, Chiang Kai-shek takes over. He's the main figure in the fight. These are both guys that are Western educated directly or indirectly. Uh, Mao Zedong leads the, um, leads the communists, of course, during and after the Civil War. Chiang Kai-shek, after the Civil War, um, ends in 1949. I'll talk about the specifics of the Civil War in a second. Um, Mao Zedong stays in charge until 1976, whereas Chiang Kai-shek stayed in charge in, uh, excuse me, Taiwan for a while as well. Um, but what happened during the Chinese Civil War is, the, I mean, it, it was happening as early as 1912 when the Republic is founded. But the nationalists, these people that are adopting Western technology in a certain way, and again, the communists adopt Western technology as well in the form of adopting right. weapons, but also adopting the tactics of the Soviet Union and the Bolsheviks. And the Soviet Union funds the Chinese communists. The Americans fund the nationalists in Chiang Kai-shek. They're related, okay? And they're, Chiang Kai-shek and the nationalists, they commit a lot of atrocities against random peasant populations. And the peasant population really rallies behind the communists. And with the Soviet Union support, and because of how in tune the communists were with what the people wanted, and how to get the will of the people, the communists went out. And, and frankly, with the events only, if, if you close your mind off to what happens after 1949, it makes no sense that anything else would happen in Korea or in China. Because if you don't know anything that happens after 1949, the facts themselves laid out make it obvious that the, the communists were the better choice. So this is because they had the support of the peasantry. They wage a guerrilla war and they have popular support. They're able to wage a, a, a guerrilla war because they have popular support. They don't commit many atrocities. The, the nationalists are committing atrocities. They're, they're massacring people, never as much as the Japanese did. And like I said, the nationalists and the and the communists, they have a truce during World War II. Nominally, they have a truce uh, so they can defeat the Japanese, the common enemy. But in 1945, it restarts. And frankly, the China, the nationalists, they had done some fucking they had done some some wonky shit and they had tried to, like, fuck with the communists. And the communists did more of the fighting against the Japanese. At least that seems to be the perception. And I think that perception is rooted in reality. It's just really hard to tell. Um, the Kalmanting makes some strategic errors. So the uh, the nationalists, they make some errors. I, I'm not going to go into the specifics of that, but they make some some serious errors. And uh, the Kalmanting, the nationalists did get international support. Some of it was squandered, just like the Maoists, the communists, they get they get material support from the Soviet Union. The, um, the United States cuts off support for the nationalists in 1949, but I think that they really only cut off support. I don't know the specifics too well, but it, I feel like they only cut off support once it was obvious that they had lost. And they flee to Taiwan, and they establish the Republic of China. And in the, on the Republic of China, in the Republic of China, they're, they're viewed as China in the United Nations until 1974 or 1976, at which point the People's Republic of China, the Communist Chinese, they whoa, whoa, uh, whoa, whoa. did you just <laughs> say that the tiny little island of Taiwan is considered China for like what is that thirty years? 
Uh, I think about 25, 26 years. Yeah, I, I'd like to get the, the correct date. So the whole Western yeah, world is the like... Republic of China. Uh, I mean, yeah, that's yeah, their the, official name still. So the whole Western world is just not recognizing that there was this revolution that the communists basically won for like 25 it, years. Originally, they were holding out for the Kalmenting to be able to take back China or someone else to be able to defeat the communists. But of course, over time, that became less and less, uh, less and less of a possibility. Right. And at the point where, like, it was way past time to do it when they actually finally did it. Um, but yeah, um, God, dude, they just make. <laughs> when you go so, back and you look at history through this lens, and it just makes the the Western world look so fucking bad. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they weren't recognized until like Nixon went to China, 1971. Oh yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> they, I mean, the Republic of China, the People's Republic <laughs> of China, was just not recognized. Like they were like, man, you guys don't exist. Largest country in the world by population. Yeah, doesn't yeah, exist, yeah, dude. That's the craziest <laughs> thing. They're literally like the largest country in the fucking world by population, and like we're just like, yeah, you're. We go with that little island. It'd be like if Hawaii mm-hmm. broke off from America. And like uh, whatever reason, or like for some reason, the, like our government fled to Hawaii, but we like overthrew it. Now we're whatever a new government, mm-hmm. and then just for twenty five years, China is like Hawaii's in charge. One hundred percent, one hundred percent. And it, it, doesn't it remind you of like? Doesn't it remind you of like when McMaster, Mac, whatever that fucking British dude's name was, going to China yeah. and being like, oh, yeah. and the, the the flabbergastedness of like. Uh, of like who the fuck are you right but yeah it's yeah. uh 1971 um i think damn yeah that's 1971. wild 22 years of that it's that's crazy. also when we came off the gold standard which is i don't know if it correlates but maybe oh i i, I look i i've looked into the specifics of it before but i don't really remember um yeah so well, that, I mean, that, it's what's also crazy is China, 1912, China fucking, you know, like the Qing dynasty failed. And 1913, the central banks were created. Are you serious? Yeah. That's when the Federal Reserve was founded, I believe. What the fuck? Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm gonna have to look up if there's a connection between China and the Federal Reserve now. But yeah. <laughs> well, and it's well. like, I, I, well, have you have you seen? Well, all right. So that's fucking insane. I mean, the whole, I mean, phenomenal job. That was that's the most history of China I've ever heard ever um, from anybody. And that's also I haven't really looked into it that extensively either. But I mean, more than I've learned in the however many years of indoctrination camp that I've gone to in the United States, but yeah. have you guys, so side note, just because we were talking about the federal reserve you guys heard the new theory because of the whole thing with the Titanic coming out, that the reason why the Titanic sank was to create the federal reserve as well. Are you serious? Cause no, I've heard, heard this. I've yeah. heard of this theory, but I, I don't really so know. All the, all the big bankers were supposed to be on the Titanic Rockefeller fucking um, all, like uh, the Rothschilds, like all of them were 
were scheduled to be on the Titanic and had tickets to go on the Titanic. And there was one guy, and I think he was this Austrian something or other. Um, he controlled a lot of fucking wealth, like a lot of wealth. And he was basically making it so no one else could um, create the central currency because he had so much wealth comparatively to the other ones. And he was the only one that went on. And then the Rothschilds and everybody else backed out of the Titanic and then the Titanic sank. And the next year, they created the Federal Reserve. Huh. Huh. Yeah. The creature. That's why when you said it originally, <laughs> you should read that. And then World War One happens in nineteen. And then World War One. Yeah. Yep. I was. I was. Somebody told me something recently about the connection between World War One being created. I wish I remembered who it was. Yeah. There's a lot, there's a, well, it was crazy when you first were going over like your brief overview at the beginning and you said 1912 is when the Qing dynasty ended and, you know, the civil wars happened and CCP ended up winning out. I was like, oh, that's weird. Like in my head, it yeah. instantly, I was just like, that's fucking weird because 1913 federal reserves created and yeah. all these central banks pop up all around, um, but, um all around the world. Remind me to to tell you something off air. I'm sorry to say that to everyone okay. listening, but there's something I cannot say on the air, um, uh, on this topic, based on a based, yeah, no, based on good. the Chinese perception of a situation that that would be uh, that I would be unable to talk to, talk about. But. Yeah, no worries. But yeah, it's just it's just fucking crazy. So all right, so and, and by the way, for anyone know. listening, if you want to know what I'm talking about, just find me on Twitter or something and ask me and I will tell you like, it's not like that hidden, but it's something that I, I just can't say. I can't yeah. say it here. You're like, I'm it not seems, saying it on a, yeah. on a it seems like show. the East, the East side of the world was going through like, uh, they were coming out of their monarchies the same time that the West was like, well, all the I monarchies mean, started to fall. They came out of the monarchies for the same reason, right? Like all, all of this technological upheaval in Europe is what allows for for the Europeans to go to China with their new technology. So the technology, like the Europeans invent the technology, that technology creates social upheaval that destroys the monarchies. And then subsequently, the new states that come out, these nationalist states in the 19th century, they modernize and they're already modernized. They already went through their period of turmoil. And then they went and they bring their technology to these new places like China and they they then, in the same way that their own countries went through turmoil as a result of this technology, they then extend that technology to those places. And that technology inevitably leads to that social upheaval. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. for, so I, I was, I, I don't even remember where I got this from, but I think I might have either read this in a book or heard it on a podcast, but that, so the, when America went through its industrial revolution, it was the fastest, like, from rise in standard of living ever in human history before. But um, in, I, I was told that there was the, around the 1990s, Chinese, the Chinese had the largest, like, lifted the most people out of poverty of this and lifted their standard of living ever before in human history. So in absolute the, numbers. Yes, because I mean, they thing. just have they have the population, and yeah. uh, so did they go through their industrial revolution around that time, or was it prior to that? So, uh, Marxism and and the 
application of communism was originally intended by Marx to be adopted by um, uh, by Western uh, industrial populations. But what happened in actuality is um, the 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 ideology of Marxism was not adopted by urban industrialized populations. It was actually adopted by agrarian populations in the East. So East Germany, of course, but under the, the sphere of the Soviet Union. And there's often people argue about this, but there's a distinction between the uh, culture and history of uh, Russia and of the rest of the West. Some people call Russia the West, some don't. I tend to yeah. consider them yeah. not. I consider them Eastern, yeah. um, near Eastern as opposed to far Eastern. So in actuality, what happens is the, the only people, the only countries that adopt um, communism are, are those nations that are Eastern, near Eastern or far Eastern, near Eastern being the Soviet Union um, and far Eastern being the Chinese, uh, the Vietnamese, uh, the North Koreans, they adopt, and, and these are agrarian populations. So what actually happens is these agrarian populations use communism to industrialize. So the Soviet Union does industrialize and China right. does industrialize. Like people attack the things like the five-year plans of the Soviet Union because they didn't technically reach their goals. Um, there are obviously a lot of mishaps in uh in china with the economy there are that are a result of essentially planned economy like the sparrows where millions of people died in famine same thing happens in north korea right so there are shortcomings but what does happen is these nations industrialize and frankly we don't really have another path towards that level of industrialization that doesn't involve something like singapore based on financial markets so what makes these agrarian places um, industrialize and join the modern world is communism. And then once those nations were industrialized, communism then falls. In the Soviet Union, it falls a little bit more bloody. In China, based on the Han tradition, based on bringing in these old traditions in China, they're able to, the Chinese Communist Party is able to just be like, not communist anymore, like at all. They're just not. They're, they're closer the definition of, of how they rule is a lot closer to fascism than it is to yes, uh, communism. Right. I mean, right. they're fascism by there's many definitions of fascism, fascism today. You're a fascist. If you don't think that drag queens should twerk in front of kids, but really what fascism is, is like, it's a marriage. It's an economic of, principle, right? It, it's a corporate marriage power of and state the states, power, right? right? It's a, it's a marriage of corporate power and state power mixed with authoritarian politics. And that is what China yeah. is. And they call it um, they call it socialism with Chinese characteristics. Um, I've heard that. That's just fascism. I mean, fascism, to a certain extent, because it has partly a planned economy, it's a marriage between the government and uh, economic enterprises. It, it is socialism in that sense, because like China, even though they're they're very largely capitalist, they're almost extreme capitalist. But it's it's through a marriage with the government that allows them to have a zero percent unemployment and bridges to nowhere and build these massive yeah. cities. And there are shortcomings for that. And sometimes it's a waste of resources. But that's the type of thing that allowed them after their initial industrialization to then attempt to join the modern world. And, and as long as they continue economic economic prosperity, which maybe they will, maybe they won't. 
the Chinese Communist Party will remain in power. Yeah. So, so this is my thing. Isn't it, isn't sorry, typo, but isn't this China currently, from what I've heard and from different people that I've listened to or looked at their Twitters or Substacks or writings, journalism, um, they're basically like from what I've understood is that China's basically just as, as bad in debt as we are. Like they have massive amounts of debt that they're subletting their fucking entire country on just like we are. And that if either of us crash in any way, shape or form, our economies are so intertwined that we're both going to be fucked regardless. Yeah. I mean, I I don't want to speak on this too much because I would be talking out of my ass. There's a bunch of people on specifics of that that could talk on this way better, but like complex systems, man. I mean, everything is intertwined and it's too intertwined and it's once something important enough fails, it's, it's trouble because we are so intertwined with them. I mean, the, the idea that we'd go to war with China is like asinine. We just can't. It's insane like, to me. It would or that destroy they would go both to war of our countries. Us. Yeah, no, neither of us wants it. It's fucking stupid. But w- what we're going to have to do, what we have to do now, our relative power to China, our being the United States and the West in general, the United our States. relative power towards China has declined considerably. And the US government is not... They have not responded to this change in situation. So our relative power to China, we're like, we can do whatever the fuck we want. We'll put our bases wherever we want. We'll have our troops in Taiwan. We'll maybe fund, maybe, I don't know, maybe we'll fund some Chinese minorities and fund some rebel groups. Maybe we'll do that. Maybe we'll keep doing that. We'll, We'll do economic sanctions. And that really reminds me of the way that the Chinese emperor treated these English barbarians in the 19th century, because China was operating, the the Chinese empire was operating on an old understanding. They were operating on this understanding from hundreds of years ago through momentum that they were still relatively the most powerful nation in the world, as they very much had been for a very, very long time. But they no longer were, and they had not changed their culture in response to that. And what's happened today is the American Uh... government the world police, they have not realized in, in actuality, some of them explicitly probably realize it, but the entity as a whole has not realized that their relative power towards the Chinese has declined considerably in all aspects, or economic, in militarily, in and the world in general. Yeah. So our market share has declined, but they're not dealing with it. This stuff in the South China Sea, man, like the US is mad that the Chinese are, are, are in the South China Sea. That's their fucking Gulf of Mexico. That yeah, is like it's, the, it's South the South China Sea. China sea. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? Like this is land that's they're like literally building coast. islands too. Like they're literally building like islands with military installations on them, and it's like, yeah, dude, do you know that's like, defenses. Do you know how, what we do in the Gulf of Mexico? Like we yeah. do so much shit in the Gulf of Mexico that nobody ever talks about. And it's like Mexico, we're just on good terms with Mexico, at least enough yeah. that they just like, yeah, go ahead. Like whatever. They're our we're not little fucking brother, dude. I mean, they're we mm-hmm. like our our biggest trade partners, I think, are Canada and Mexico. Like it's yeah. Yeah. and culturally a lot closer, like especially with the United States having such a large Mexican, such a large both Catholic. Population, yeah. Like like I, I mean, my family's yeah, Catholic. Catholic. Too. Like to me, Mexicans are not only like that Mexicans are are like 
culturally they're Western, their culture comes from Spain. They're culturally very compatible with us. For me as a Catholic in a, in a mainly Protestant country, I see Catholic immigration. I'm like, yeah, I'm also like, I guess ethnically we're not that related, but brothers of the faith, like uh, my uncles and yeah. shit are in the, are, are in the Knights of Columbus. The Knights of Columbus helped the Catholic rebels out in the Cristeros war against the American government. Okay. Like, like there's, there's yeah. relation there. Um, I don't remember why I said that, but yeah, Mexico and Canada are our best friends. Like it's a different situation. Yeah. yeah I just like yeah. talking about our best friends. Love you, Mexico and snow Mexico. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck Canada. Well, the fucking Brits, dude. Yeah. They're just Brits. Yeah. I mean, Canada They're just Brits with extra steps and more A's. The only real definition of Canada, Canada defines itself on being not American, but the thing is they are basically American. Yeah, no, they are. Yeah. I was just in Toronto not too long ago and I was like, this is legitimately America and you guys just still yeah. worship Britain for some reason. It's, it's super it's weird. Like, to, the, the, the regions in Canada that correspond to America are more similar to each other than they are to the rest of the country. I, as a New Englander, am much more comfortable in Halifax with people that are my Canadian equivalent than I am in Vancouver which is like the fucking Seattle version of, of Canada. That's all it is. I have way yeah. more in common with people in Halifax, Nova Scotia oh, absolutely. than I do with people in the Pacific Northwest. Those motherfuckers are weird. Um, yeah. Dude, they are. And it's the same thing with like Montana to Alberta and Mount Manitoba. And it's the same yeah. thing with like the Midwest versus um, versus Ottawa and, and uh, yeah. the province. Yeah. It's like Michigan Toronto. to Ottawa. Yeah. Like, it's it's, this, it, they're yeah. way more similar. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, it's just crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. Toronto is have... a crazy city. I was just there, and that was a crazy fucking city. Yeah, I no, thank you. It's um, so old too. So and it old. is, yeah, it is. There's a lot of like 17th century and 18th century stuff. Yeah. Um, I know we're probably we're heading up on two hours. I I don't quite want to stop yeah. yet. I have at least one more thing to say, and whatever other questions you guys have, but I need to okay. use the bathroom. Yeah, I'll be yeah, right. Okay, back. yeah, no problem. Go ahead. I'll pause it. Okay. Uh, okay. I actually have a question. Go for um, it. Yeah. It's, oh wait, wait. First, do you want you want to say your last part, and then we can. Well, I mean, it, it's it's not quite on China. It's just the sustainability of. Uh, I, I'll talk about it in a second. You go ahead with the question. Okay. Uh. Well, like, what Mao Zedong is he the one that like brought communism to China? Was communism already come uh, through other people, other means, and then like Mao Zedong just rose to power? Like who do you know who like the intellectual thinkers or the people that brought to communism how it how it and you said it was kind of obvious. It doesn't seem like Marx would have done well in China. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like why did Marxism pick up so much? So in China? I'm actually I'm not sure about how it originally got there. I assume that the literature got got there through word of mouth and then expanded uh, over time, especially after. Um, I mean, the Soviet Union takes off like people would have known about this, especially yeah, because they, they're getting access to, excuse me, um, Western technology and, and Western ideas. And that's Marxism. It's a Western idea it comes from Germany. Right. So we associate it heavily with the Soviet Union today. But at the time that this started, that wasn't necessarily true. And I don't even know right. actually exactly what year Mao Zedong started. I don't think he started the communist movement. He did join it early on. And I mean, he's like the George Washington of killing Japanese people. 
Like he was like, he was a war hero. <laughs> I mean, Mao Zedong was, was a real yeah. war hero. Um, and, and that yeah. gave you a lot did of credibility. He, did he actually serve or? Oh yeah. Okay. Hell yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yes. He was the military the leader during world war two. Yeah. No, he, he, I mean, he's a literal war hero against the biggest enemy the Chinese ever had, because I mean, the Westerners are one thing, right? Cause the Westerners, they brought a few people over and they humiliated the Chinese, but the Japanese land millions of troops and they take over the capital. It's a completely different thing. It's a completely different thing. It's way, way worse. Yeah. So the guy that defeated them more so perceived, I, I, I think that this is also in truth, but the person who is perceived as doing the most to defeat the Japanese is Mao Zedong. And okay. that is the legitimacy that allows him to go in. He was, yeah, that's, yeah. That's a common thing throughout history where like fucking dominant yeah. military leaders mm -hmm. end up becoming the leader of the nation. Right. Against a, a dominant threat. Yeah. yeah. George yeah. Washington. I mean, he literally exactly. George Washington. Yeah. There are more comparisons between George Washington and Mao Zedong than just that. I mean, he is the George Washington figure for the Chinese communist state. Um, yeah. yeah. Which, which can be seen. I mean, yeah. Um, any and, other questions? Sorry. Yeah. Uh, so how much like I'm sure Japanese was committing some sort of atrocities on uh, the Chinese. Uh, is that assumption correct? Like, yeah, well, there, there's the famous one, which is the rape of Nanjing um, or Nanking, depending on how you pronounce it. But yeah, I mean, the, the Japanese killed likely over the 10 Japanese million people fucking up the Chinese, possibly like 25 million. I mean, they wow. they murdered them. They did. They just they didn't give a shit at all. Dude, it was the really United bad. States doesn't know what war is, bro. Like, that's no. the problem like that. Like the people in the United States, we do not understand what actual war is. We did a so whole episode about privileged. I, I did an episode on like the difference in what Americans perceive as a war. We've never been defeated in a war. I get it. People talk about Vietnam. Never. They talk about the war of 1812. Number one, we won the war of 1812. Yes, they burned down the White House. That was 200 years ago. Yes, we lost Vietnam, but we didn't lose it in the traditional way. There were not yeah, Vietnamese right. boots walking down Washington, D.C. We went somewhere and we weren't able to fully Bogger. meet the goals of yeah. our empire overseas. And the only reason that matters, I'm not an American nationalist coming out here like, oh, we didn't lose Vietnam. The reason it's important is because America has never, never experienced that type of thing. And there is a generational and cultural trauma that results from that, that both Russia and China have into a very real way that is still a part of their culture today. Yeah. And why they yeah, react yeah. they do to the United States. Yeah, it's not like it's it's a little off topic, but like like Russia has been invaded twice or no, like I guess you could say three times in like the last couple centuries. Mm -hmm. Like they got invaded by Napoleon. They've been invaded by uh, Germany and J they lost a war against Japan. And like they yeah. they have been. I mean, that was they, the periphery the, against the yeah. Japanese. That I mean, yeah. that was embarrassing for the Russians and part of why they were able to lose to the communists later because they lost to some freaking slanty eyes. Yeah, and I'm not saying yeah, that yeah. from my perspective. I'm saying that from the perspective of these <laughs> people who thought that they were superior to the Japanese back then right. yeah. and to, to all yeah. Asians. Because it goes just yeah. like the Chinese are like so, fucking round eyes. Yeah. Right. Yeah, they yeah, both so thought that they were superior to the other groups. 
yeah so like these cultures and nations that have experience have experiences legitimate experiences of being invaded and conquered by a foreign uh nation especially one with a different ethnicity uh mm -hmm. that weighs deep within the culture so and like you can kind of yeah and you can kind of i mean maybe tie it back today to something is just that that's why they maybe russia's just not cool with like you know what's going on in ukraine like so it's the same same mentality yeah. like we're america we're like it's not a big deal like honestly i could honestly believe that like when we started expanding nato like most americans like the concept of invading Russia or conquering Russia wasn't even in their mind. They're just like, yeah, we're just going to bring these people to NATO. Like, no big deal. What's mm -hmm. the problem? And to Russians, they're like, holy fuck. This military alliance yeah. is getting super close to our border. You guys have already surrounded us with bases already. Yeah. And now you're at yeah. our fucking front door. And Ukraine has always been under Russia's influence. I mean, they, they are very yes. intertwined. It's like yes. it, it, they're Russia's Scotland. Yeah, do you know it, the Russian yeah. word for borderlands? It's it's Ukraine. <laughs> yeah, and and that's why people want you to say Ukraine instead of the Ukraine. And I do. Yeah. Um, it's just it's complicated. It's complicated. But yeah, that yeah. yeah. So like, I think that like that's something that uh like like just from that perspective, like the loss of life that China has experienced over the centuries, where it's just like not even compare, like no comparison we have to that, really none. Like at all over a sixty-year period in the eighteen hundreds. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No yeah. one can fathom the amount so, of people that lost their lives. Yeah. And this is not to say that like what happened under the Communist Party in China was like good Absolutely. or uh, like acceptable or anything like that. But you can kind of understand like this culture that's been around that lost millions of people to horrible wars over time like what's well, a few another million to communism you know to them mm -hmm. you know like that's it just in that con like like zoom out view like that's maybe why they put up with communism for so long because it's like this is just what our country does like yeah, yeah. we fucking slaughter our own people we got a bloodlet every once in a while you know yeah <laughs> refresh it's, the it's, tree it's also, of liberty it's such a big place that like the taiping rebellion which killed like 10 million people it didn't really affect people in other parts of the country. I, they had their other things going on, but like, it's not like these it are like happened in things. a place the size of it happened in a place like the size of Vermont. Like <laughs> yeah. it was a little bit you bigger know, like, than that, but like, basically, yeah. Yeah. With like, but you know, like it's people. like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Insane. What was, all right. So what was the last thing that we needed to get to? So the last thing is just, it's briefly referencing essentially the idea uh one of the ideas in ted kaczynski's manifesto um which is um <laughs> he talks yeah r.i.p uncle ted um obviously don't condone his killings no violence that's my whole deal but <laughs> gotta give that because people will get all upset with me uh like my girlfriend yeah. but whatever um so <laughs> i had to take down posts on social media um <laughs> how's it gonna look to all the other people she's gonna listen to this and fucking yell at me but whatever um so ted kaczynski talks about conservatives and he attacks conservatives for allowing new technology and without the innate understanding that this new technology inevitably changes the culture and so ah, the ching empire yes. the ching empire gets to a point where they're kind of at a level of sustainability and harmony and they're at a point where, you know, everything's chill. They're the son of heaven. It's it's almost like it was 
to the point where obviously this would never go on forever, but they probably felt like they were just in a state that would just continue forever in their Confucian, whatever. They would just keep going on yeah. and on. What, what doing about the what doing at this time? Like what's their lifestyle or life? They I mean, it sucks. It sucks. Like, but that's all they know. And they they don't know anything else from anywhere else. And the technology, like the peasants are not traveling very far. There's a bunch of people within a small area most people are not traveling as far as i know um but like they burned down their treasure fleet because they're like we don't need to do this anymore they're done end of history in the last man chinese 18th century edition and to be honest it, it probably would have went on pretty okay for a, a while even longer than it did without the influence of western technology West. so i mean it makes sense that at a lot of points in human history different humans at, at various levels of development. Like I can name examples of hunter gatherers um, from the book, Dawn of Everything um, by David Graber. And I need a new contact prescription and David Wenthrow, um, <laughs> David Graber, RIP and uh, David Wengrow. They have examples of hunter gatherers in that book who, who, say we don't want this new technology because of the disruptions it causes the ottoman empire does that in the 17th century the ottoman empire um that. yeah middle ages it happened a lot with different um tons of monarchs would deny new technology because they knew they knew i mean human civilizations across history have known that technolo technology new technology is connected to social upheaval and they avoided these things they were much more concentrated on sustainability whereas our culture today um in direct direct defiance of of god yeah. i would say in a certain sense and directed defiance of human nature and how humans existed for a long time they, they strive for progress and for growth rather than striving for sustainability. And again, this is sustainability, not in some liberal ass green way. This is sustainability of all things, sustainability of life and of culture and of, of harmony into the future and of, of unchanging and like cycles over and over again of like things kind of chilling the fuck out instead of this up and down and up and down of literal capitalist yeah. stock markets, but also of our culture and permeating every every inch of our life. And th the Chinese recognized this and they rightly said, we don't need your shit, white barbarian, fuck off, get out of here. But unfortunately, because that technology passed over those borders ever, anyway, that technology in the form of goods, as well as technology in the form of Western ideas, in the form of nationalism, Christianity and Marxism and many more, that created the need for China to modernize. And the way that they ended up modernizing, just the way it worked out, who ended up having the mandate of heaven was the communists. And you understand why if you look back and you see what happened. Of course, like I said, you go past 1949, you see what happens until 2023. And it's like, wow, this is terrible. But you would have no way of knowing through any reasonable sense that that was how it was going to turn out. You never would have expected right. it based on the alternative to communism, which in China was the nationalists and in Korea was the nationalists that were very directly related to the Japanese. And the Chinese yes. nationalists were also related to the Japanese. And that was part of it. Um, and the last thing I'll say, which is I made that whole big point. Side note, one of the most significant things 
1945 or 46, there was a time the South, South Korean government is born out of um, the Americans defeating the Japanese yeah. because the South Korean government was, uh, so the South Korean government existed. The Americans defeat the Japanese. There is a night where these imperial Japanese troops, these ethnic Korean, some of them which had adopted Japanese names, ethnic Korean Japanese imperial troops, they served in the Japanese imperial army. Some of these men fought in China. These men are now in what becomes South Korea. They are wearing Japanese military uniforms. They are Japanese culturally. They serve the Japanese imperial army, but they are Korean. Sorry, I said it like three times. They leave formation one night. They leave formation in their Japanese military uniforms. And like they're fucking shifting to woodland camis in the spring, they put on American military uniforms. These troops who had committed massive atrocities and would continue to commit massive atrocities, not only in Korea, but also in China and later in Vietnam, they killed way more people than my life. These South Korean troops that are rooted in a tradition of the Japanese Imperial Army, they murdered over a thousand Vietnamese troops as allies of, of us in Vietnam. They, they, put, they took off their Japanese military uniforms and they put on American military uniforms. And then they fought with us against the Chinese and the, and the Koreans, communists, that did not commit atrocities in the same way. And, and that is the world we live in today. And that is the China that looks at us today and and sees devils yeah they're like fuck you yeah and they yeah. should fucking kind of understandably like that's the point i think that's where i've gotten to in my life is like looking more and more at the history of things and what we've done to create the situations that we're dealing with now and it's like yeah, no fucking shit they're saying fuck you. Do you yeah. know what we're based off of? We're based off of saying fuck you to people like that. And what did we become as a nation? Our nation state has become the people that we said fuck you to way back when. And we do it to other countries. And it's like, yeah, no shit they hate us. It's yeah. I think I think there's a clip going around. It's from like Dave Smith, Dave Smith's special, um, uh, like his comedy special, but he's like you know, everybody on September 10th, if you would have asked them in 2001, if you would have asked them on September 10th in the United States, what they thought about Muslims, they'd be like, I have no opinion. Like, uh, they're pretty cool. Like, I, like or whatever, you know? Yeah. yeah. And they're like, they're, they're pretty dope. And then they wake up on September 11th and they're like, why do they hate us? Like we, why we have no idea why they fucking hate us. Like the average, you know, United States, civilian is like why do they hate us we're so confused and it's like well maybe because if you look back in the last you look back to the 70s the 80s and then the early 90s yeah. it's because we fucking bombed the fuck out of them so yeah some crazy people that came out from saudi arabia to be honest went and bombed us and they were muslim and we took it out on, on two entire nations and then created a plan to take over seven nations in the middle east it's like yeah no shit and and that was after the same thing with china the british and french imperialism of the 19th yeah. and 20th century yeah i mean it's dude yeah. i mean we could do the same thing i don't know as much about the middle east but we could do the same thing we did today 
with the yeah. Middle East with somebody who knows we, more. Yeah. yeah, and we totally so, screwed over like during like screwed over a bunch of Muslim nations, uh, like especially in World War One. Totally yeah. fucked them over. Yeah, we I mean, funded the... a rebellion against the Ottoman Empire, made them a fuck ton of promises, and when it came came up for like to give them like their own like nation state, we're like, actually, you get a bunch of Jews. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was more of the British, but yes, the yeah, West yeah. as we, yeah. yeah. Yeah, they did that. I think they made conflict. The British made conflicting promises to like three different groups, including two different types of Muslims and then the Zionists back then. They like yeah. they promised it yeah. to everybody. And and these people fought and bled for the West against like they fought and bled for the British against based their on these promises. King. Like their yeah. kings. Like mm-hmm. that's crazy. Yeah, against their own king. And yeah, then we like, yeah, you know insane. what? Actually. You get a bunch of Jews. <laughs> <laughs> and then it, yeah. And Jesus. then they're still fighting. Yeah. yeah and they were probably forever. I don't know. Yeah. Insane. Insane. Well, that was fucking really fucking fun. Yeah. Yeah. Nice that was super interesting. Well, we'll have to do another one where it's like you give us 1949 until today or something. Yeah. No, let's just start a whole show. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we just we just do a whole China fucking thing. Well, then Typo and I actually have to do some research because yeah. <laughs> we can't have you just. Then it's just your show. Then we just come on your show and we just That's listen fine. and talk. Like That's fine. I'm okay. okay with that, dude. Yeah. I I said like a, less than a hundred words this episode, and I'm just like, nice. I'm fucking <laughs> <putting> work. <laughs> Jesus. Every Christ. time there's three people on this podcast, Typo says less than a hundred words. That's fucking awesome. That's fine. I did call you Jamie, <laughs> so you know. <laughs> that's all right i'm cool with looking shit up i was gonna look it up regardless of if you I asked know. me or not i was like yeah. what the fuck is this what school did he go to because that's interesting <laughs> yeah it is interesting i'm glad you looked it up oh. i thought it was hawaii that's so actually one more one more quick question when did yeah. like china transition from communist to fascist or quasi-fascist or whatever um so there's this guy, uh, Deng Xiaoping, in the 1990s, and and that's generally when most of the changes uh, come. Let me. Uh, there's a name for it, but Deng Xiaoping is is it? And okay. um, he died in 1997. For modern, oh, there was more modernizations that happened in the late 70s, but oh, that was Deng Xiaoping. Yeah, and and he was he was around for a long time. Um, so that, I knew a lot, lot of their into the eighties. I just knew that a lot of their like that change came during the nineties, like especially that uh, big ones came in the 90s. like that true true fascism of the corporate merger with the government, like with the state, like that was like huge in the nineties, and then extremely pronounced in the 2000s while we were dealing with you know iraq and afghanistan they were just like yeah we're just gonna build up everything finally and you know really come into the new age was that influence from the u.s did that's why they opened up their markets because of like nixon does does that have any correlation or no well so i briefly mentioned earlier um that it didn't become obvious until like the 90s that the south koreans and taiwanese were better off than their communist counterparts um, and, and that's because up until kind of Reaganism, it, it is it doesn't it's not obvious that and this doesn't get talked about a lot, but it was not obvious to anybody or to the numbers. If you look at them, 
that the capitalist system was superior to the communist system. So like, and, and by that, I mean like free market versus planned economy, the most basic you can get. So the, the seventies is like, you know, there are some economic crises in, in, in the capitalist countries yeah. in the seventies. And it, it is, even then it is not obvious. It's only yeah, in the eighties. So that's when, when it we starts had, like, to the peel. That was Russia's rise. argument forever. Yeah. Yeah. Wasn't that when we had like, we had the raise in seventies when we had to raise interest rates like to 25%. Yeah. We were to get yeah. inflation under control. Yeah. And this was after we were taken off the gold standard and, and we were taken off the gold standard because the U S defaulted on their debt. It was the only chance of getting out. Um, so, I mean, it wasn't obvious. And then the eighties come around and like, it, yes, the West wins, right? So communism falls like what 89, the Soviet union falls. And then nineties is when Deng Xiaoping makes the most serious, um, changes. And that's because it becomes obvious that this Western method is better. But at the same time, in my opinion, I look back at Reaganomics and, and I look at the changes there, especially the technological changes and the corresponding cultural changes and shifts that we weren't really prepared for. And I kind of root the issues that we have today in the 80s. So it, it's, oh, yeah. you, you look at the 80s to today, and it feels like, yeah, on the short time scale that America looks at history, we won. The West beat communism. The Cold War is over. We won. You can still hear that on Adult Swim for whatever reason. Like, I've been hearing it since yeah. I was a kid. Um, but if you think about it in the timescales that China thinks about it, then we had a good 40 year run, <laughs> but that's it. That's it. It's God almost game damn. over. Maybe who knows? God damn, dude. Fucking wild. <laughs> End game. Because yeah, but we might break up and not come back together, but China, if they break up, they will come back together. <laughs> it's all about time preference, right? Typo. <laughs> yeah, dude. That's very true. They're fucking, yeah. they got the, what is that called? They got the low, low ass time preference. America was over here at the high time preference. Like just fucking. Yeah. We're worried about tomorrow. Like they're worried about like their children's 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 like what they're fucking mm -hmm. going to do. Yeah. I, I, I always speak about the way that we think about time in America, this, this, this quarterly profits thing. It, I know that it's a corporate thing, but it is in yeah. our culture's dna like it's in the base of our dna our bones exist with three quarter with quarterly profits and, and quarterly everything in like short time periods it's it's not a recipe for sustainability and if it's not a recipe for sustainability it's not a recipe for something that can sustain over time and can sustain dealing with cultural shifts and technological shifts the chinese culture is built to do that and ours is not yeah it's Fucking it's crazy. like it's like a rocket that is burning up as quick as possible it's burning up because it's burning it so quickly but it's going to run out of its reserves and it's not filling it up um but that's yeah. enough metaphors uh yeah <laughs> dude well i just want to say thank you for coming on we're gonna have to thank you we gotta do me. more i'm gonna read i'm gonna do i'm gonna read the the banana book so we can both go on a schizo rant about it dude i um, luke lanay if you still have this right now, Luke Linnae, who listens to both of our podcasts, is losing his shit. I guarantee it. Um, yeah, <laughs> I've got to read it. I got to read it. You yeah. should. So is I got it. it I got it written Audible? down. So I'll read it. It is on Audible. Well, then I'll fucking yeah. have it done by next week, dude. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to schedule it quick. It's not going to be three months again. That's for sure. 
Yeah. And uh, you should link to those uh, books down below. I don't know if you're uh, on Amazon Associates, but I am. That's I promote the book sometimes. No, but I should. I, yeah. We should do a lot of things, you know, like we yeah. should do a lot of things, but we don't. So, <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about it. I'll become your manager. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You're going to lose That's your minds. You're going to lose your mind. <laughs> um, okay. But yeah, well, that's the fucking shit show typo. You got anything else? No, I just want to say thanks for coming on, man. Uh, it's really cool to get a different perspective from the other side of the world. And uh, I'm glad you were able to expand our knowledge on China. Now, now it gives a little bit of a better understanding when I, you start. Because um, the reason I wanted to have you on is just like China is becoming more of a, I guess, threat geopolitically. Uh, a lot more people talking about it. A lot more people seem concerned with China than uh, Russia, even though, you know, we're funding a proxy war against Russia right now. It seems that people are still pretty focused on China. And yeah. uh, I mean, I it's the bigger think, threat by far in every every. Way. Yeah, I just feel like uh, maybe not now, maybe it's a couple of years from now, but I really feel like China is going to be like a big topic that, that people are going to be really concerned about yeah. in day to day lives. Yeah. So it's I think it's good to get a perspective of them now. So when Flooding you our markets doing, with their cheap shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just when you see what they're doing now, you can kind of have a better understanding of like where China is coming from, what their perspective yeah. is. And it was really, uh, really informative. And sorry, one last thing, because it just reminded me of it. Yeah. Um, remember how the West flooded uh, opium into the Chinese market against their wishes? Yeah, they're doing that yep. to us. They're where do you think fentanyl's made? Fentanyl? Yeah. Fentanyl. And it's it's unclear whether yeah. the Chinese government is behind illicit fentanyl into the United yeah. States. It's unclear. Yeah, okay. I don't I don't I know. Wanted to, I wanted to say yeah. that like I've heard a lot quick, about that though. That I yeah, I've heard a lot of like the the rhetoric, because most of my family's conservative. A lot of they the people they like are right wingers, so that's who they find follow and listen to, <clears throat> like podcasts or social media types, whatever. So they're like overhyped concern with China. Like, I just thought it was so overblown. Like all this stuff that I was just like, Jesus Christ, dude. It's like, you're acting like China's going to invade tomorrow. <laughs> now, I'm, I still think that their hyperbolic version that they made up about China is still wrong. I don't think China is like going to invade us tomorrow. It takes a lot of time and money and effort to build a fucking empire to get all the way over here. Well, they're not going to invade with troops, but they have other ways yeah. of destroying us. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah culturally not that i think they want way english did to them yeah yeah i don't even and think they might, care they don't they might not to. even care they might just not even care like what's going on with the west as much like they might just, they just crazy. don't want us to fuck with their sphere of influence yeah they just don't want I us think. to invade yeah. is like yeah obviously they don't want us to invade but they just might not they don't give a fuck like if we put gay pride bags on our white house they don't probably don't give a shit really they're just like oh whatever these guys are fucking weirdos but yeah, they sure no. do think that they really yeah do. yeah 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 <laughs> but it is I'm crazy the amount of Chinese immigrants that have been coming from the southern border and the northern border, which is interesting thing to look at too. Yeah, I'm not saying that they're fucking spies. It's just crazy that well, the, some of them are of the spies. migration patterns are so clear. Like yeah. some of them are yeah, spies. Some of them are spies. It's not some racist of them fuck to say are that. Senators, so yeah, like, that is true. <laughs> and, and tech people too. That yes, huge into the tech world. It's just crazy. It's just crazy. The existence of Lucy Liu movies really created that fucking that for us. God damn it. Yeah. I mean, it's all Lucy Liu's fault, dude. It is Lucy Liu's fault. Maybe I'm, she was a spy. I don't even blame she her. She was hot. I don't even blame she her. Hot, Super hot. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, 
we just bring them over, dude? They're, you know, who cares? The more dude, I mean, we lose, what's the problem? Honestly, having Chinese people over here makes our country better. It really does. To be honest, yeah, you're not wrong. It really does. I, I love Chinese people. I, I do. I don't love the idea that Chinese people who are still loyal to China are coming over here to subvert my country, but that's that's definitely happening, but it's like less than 1% of the people. It's mostly Secondary. just- yeah it's mostly just yeah. like most of the chinese americans are just americans yeah yeah i mean i i would i would give up secrets for a chinese spy like i'm one if they look like, like that real one Lucy yeah Luke. i'll tell you whatever you want to know well i'm just saying like you know people people were like oh my god like why would this person give up like secrets and like i think back when i was like 21 and they're like giving me access to top secret information i'd be like dude it could be a seven from China that would walk up to me and I would be like, oh yeah, the new codes. Yeah, I just, they're over there. Like whatever. <laughs> you want to see my office? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Walk like these hard drives. They've been here for years. Like something. I, I, I don't know if you guys know this is a reference, but like, oh yeah, the O plan. It's right down the hall. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Let me log on to the Cipernet real quick. <laughs> oh my god. I can god. show you the world. Uh, oh shit, that's fucking funny. All right guys, well, that's the fucking shit show. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Thanks again for coming on, man. Um we'll do it again me. soon. And uh yeah. See you next week. All right. Bye. China.